一站，牛津桥洞，主要动员。Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're talking the boy, Jackie Chan. Join the sleaze. We decide... (laughs) on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over uh, two years. So there's something like 60-plus bonus episodes waiting for you, as well as our bonus transmission series, which there is almost 20 of now, where we talk about uh, new release genre films, which there have been, um, obviously, a little bit less uh, going to theaters, but still just (laughs) as many basically going to video, and we are uh, going combing through them all at the moment. Yeah, we're Um, going through a lot. But uh, speaking of which, we did have a lot of people make the jump this week, so we're going to give them their shout-outs here. Um, Absolutely. Signed up uh, in the last week, we've had uh, Crycut. We've had Ben Cosgrove, uh, Keju, uh, Paul Merrick, uh, James Olson, uh, William Zerno, and that's it. Awesome. So thanks, thanks so much to you guys for signing up this week. Hope you guys are enjoying all those um, bonus episodes, one of which was uh, the one that we uh, would have done last week that Jamie was referencing, our, our big police story and police story to Jackie Chan episode, which <laughs> big was a one. monster of an episode. Yeah, my, my, I don't think it's our longest, I guess, when it comes to like natural episodes. I still think Bad Boys holds that record, but very close. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely in, in the top five, top ten longest episodes we've ever done. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, but but last week, I think, or uh, two weeks ago, would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us. And uh, we would have been talking uh, Fat City and Tokyo Fist boxing movies. Two very different kinds of boxing movies with uh, special guest Rocky, also known as uh, Viperwave on, on Twitter. Um, and we had a lot of fun talking about uh, John Huston doing the genre as sort of like the bleak class drama. that Very know, depressing. They, very depressing film, and Shinya Sukamoto basically doing a very strange um, body horror uh, sort of like manic psychological experience. Um, yeah. So we had a really good time talking about that. Um, and then uh, last week for the the bonus listeners over on Patreon.com, uh, as I mentioned, we talked Jackie Chan, Police Story, and Police Story 2. We wanted to talk about some more um, Hong Kong action films, and uh, Police Story is just my personal favorite Jackie Chan film. Uh, yeah, it's so up we, there for me. We, we had to talk about it for a long time. We we talked about both films for basically uh, an hour each. <laughs> yep. So, uh, just gushing about Jackie about, Chan. 
Yeah, and and all of his uh, death-defying stunt work and crazy martial arts and sense of um, silent era physical comedy all all in one. Uh, him yeah. directing those films definitely meant that it was one of the clearest expressions of his career of what he wanted to achieve both as a performer and a filmmaker. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that was why we had to go uh, so deep in into it. Uh, we talked about... Uh, I watched like documentaries on Jackie Chan that were included on the criterion and stuff like that. So yeah. anyway, we had a lot of fun talking about uh, Jackie Chan uh, last week, but uh, welcome back folks. Welcome back to this week. Um, this is, uh, I, I, I'm doing this all out of order this week. So uh, as always, I'm your host, Josh Lewis and joining me is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show usually we do that before we talk about last week's stuff but uh, i want to talk about <laughs> well, jackie chan yeah we, we can't stop can't no, stop I, I can never stop i love that man <laughs> um i also think uh so we we did the patreon plug for the week but also the other plug uh before we uh, get into the main show is also uh apple podcast if you guys are listening on apple Podcasts, uh make sure to scroll down to the bottom and give us a good old rating and review there it helps Please us do. uh climb the ranks over on itunes and we find new listeners that way um, as well. Um, but we are once again back. We are talking about, uh, two more, uh, I mean, technically you, not the sleaziest movies anyone's ever brought on, but definitely still some, some action and some, and some crime going on today. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, we're once again calling in from, uh, the quarantine zone and also me technically I'm calling in from the construction zone this (laughs) week. So if you hear any, uh, strange sounds, uh, it, it's just, don't worry, it's just a power drill hovering over my head uh, somewhere. Yeah, well, let's just hope it doesn't turn into, like, the Brian De Palma power drill kill, you know? From Body Double? Yeah, yeah hope we, not. we don't want any of that. I would, Keep that it would on not be my preferred way to go of every movie <laughs> death that I've seen. That's pretty brutal. Uh, I've seen a lot doing this show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that one sticks out, for sure. Uh, but this week, we have a special guest, uh, Spencer, also known on Twitter as the Lonely Photon that many of you might know, uh, from his podcast, Those Good Old Fashioned Values, which is <laughs> a family guy podcast. Yep. Uh, so oh, a little, lot, 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 lots of crossover between our show yep. and your show. Um, we're going to do a Seth MacFarlane episode at some point, you know, down the yep. line. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, uh, Nora Jones was in both Ted and My Blueberry Nights, so there, there we go. go. There's our crossover. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, w- welcome, Spencer. How you doing? Hey, good, good. Happy to be on the show. Good to have you. Happy, happy to have you. Yeah. Um, as the show goes, we have the guests bring on the double feature for them for the week. So, what two films, Spencer, have you brought with you this week, and why do they pair together? Um, so, uh, when I knew I was going to go on, I knew I wanted to bring a Wong Kar Wai movie since, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, he is absolutely my favorite director. Um, he doesn't have a ton of movies that would really fit the bill for the show. Um, like his two most beloved Chunking Express and In the Mood for Love are, you know, the kind of these like romantic mood pieces don't really fit with the vibe of the show, but he has a few films that work for it. Um, uh, I didn't want to bring on Ashes of Time because I have no idea what the fuck is happening in that movie. And <laughs> as, I as agree. Tears I have no by, idea what's happening. It, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a pretty cool vibe, though, I will admit. Yeah, yeah. Um, as tears go by, uh, it's just not... It, it could be like a cool pairing with Mean Streets, I guess, but it's, it's not that interesting of a movie. Um, but Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels is a awesome movie. It's like 
stealth contender for his best movie. I'd say it's like number two or so. And uh, it's just such a blast, and I've wanted to talk about it in a long form for some time. Uh, ideally, I would have paired it with The Killer, the John Woo movie. Um, I think those two play off very well, but, you know, because it's already been done on this show, then... <laughs> yeah, it has uh, been. <laughs> yeah, I brought the John Woo film that... Um, best John Woo film, in my opinion, and uh, one that hasn't been discussed on the show, Bullet in the Head, his absolutely insane Vietnam epic. Um, I, I paired the two films together since... Well, for one, I think they would make for a great double feature, but um, they, they both have, like, very bizarre tones. They both um, are up to a lot of interesting stuff formally. Um, obviously, they're both Hong Kong action movies of a sort, uh, but, yeah, the, the connection between the two isn't super strong, but I think I think they play nicely together nonetheless. Yeah, no, and, and they're, they're both, like... Um of, of a particular movement that was coming out of Hong Kong, obviously, in the 90s. And Wong Kar Wai is very interesting because, obviously, as Spencer mentioned, um, he typically actually tried to stay away from this particular movement of, of, of the John Woo's and the, like, Choi Harks and a lot of the big action Hong Kong filmmakers of the time where you had slow-mo gunfights to, like, contemporary canto pop songs or something like that. That was something Wong Kar Wai wasn't as interested yeah. in. So Fallen Angels is, like, the closest he ever got to making, you know, like a John Woo-esque uh, set film, I guess you would say, you know, like sort of about the Hong Kong underworld and hitmen and, you know, sort of like the their their lonely existential lives, which is like something that you would see in, in, in The Killer, for example. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think it's a cool pairing because um, I had never seen Bullet in the Head and I've always wanted to, and it's one of uh, John Woo's, like, um, wilder, most expensive films that he got to make, um, yeah. at, at least in Hong Kong. He might have made more expensive films by the time he was uh, <laughs> had actors like Nick Cage and John Travolta in his films. I found it to be um, one of Tom his Cruise. most brutal as well. Like, it's just so yeah. violent and, and in a... I mean, he always has kind of like a depressing tone in a, in a sense here and there, but this one is just like... Just, just so visceral. It's just such a gut punch to the emotions. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's obviously John Woo doing like a like a, a wartime melodrama style yeah. film. So yeah, it's 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 a little yeah. bit. Uh, it, it's it's him using his usual crazy action and melodrama and applying it to a genre that is basically at times can feel just as big as his images are. And right. then Fallen yeah. Angels, I've always described as like Wong Kar Wai, the closest Wong Kar Wai got to making a John Woo film. Absolutely. So I think that this Absolutely. pairing actually ends up making, making sense. Yeah. Um, to me and I'm, I'm definitely excited to uh, jump into it here. I think we're going to do um, chronologically we're going to jump into these ones so I think we're going to actually start here with uh, John Woo's Bullet in the Head. All right, we are talking bullet 
In the Head, the 1990 Hong Kong action film written, produced, edited, and directed all by uh, John Woo. Wow. Um, this was uh, a little bit... This is an inter- Last time we talked about John Woo, we did The Killer and Hard Boiled, and Bullet in the Head, yeah. I think, is the movie he made in between those movies. So this is a very interesting yeah. film to hit for him because technically, I think when they were originally... Uh, starting out with it it was supposed to be a prequel a better tomorrow three yeah it was supposed to be a prequel story to a better to a better tomorrow uh, oh, okay. for for his action his his action films uh, but he had a bit of a falling out with um Choi hark who would go on to um direct a better tomorrow three which uh I, it has a subtitle about something about uh Dying love and death in Saigon. Love and death in Saigon. That's it. I was yeah, gonna say t- it is also a Vietnam film. Yes. So they they kind of both went off and made their own films, and instead John Woo basically got to go instead of ha- being locked into any sequels or franchises that he was making at the time. He instead got to go back to the drawing board and basically you know write some uh, his his own wartime melodrama film. He described it as when he was he was working on the project that this was going to be his version of an Apocalypse Now style film. Even though I think okay. the end results are actually a little bit closer to something like like the deer hunter, like yeah. the, the, the emotions and drama is a little bit broader than it is in something like apocalypse now. But from what I understand, the amount of money he was working with and the amount of effort he put into making the film made it feel like his own apocalypse now in a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because at the time this was the most expensively budgeted Hong Kong film wow. um, ever made. I, uh, I just want to add, Oh, that, um, it's kind of for the best that this isn't a Better Tomorrow Three because a Better Tomorrow Three is a is a good movie, um, but uh, a Better Tomorrow Two um, that that movie was like him and Troy Hark were like barely on speaking terms at that point when the movie was made. Um, they both basically made two different movies and then like outsourced the editing Suicide Squad style and like <laughs> oh my god that movie is fucking incoherent. Um, wow, I've still yeah. never seen that one. Yeah, you know, it's wild. Like, there's, like, like I mean, there's good stuff in it, but there's, like, a 30-minute stretch in the middle where uh, it's just, like, um, uh, oh, fuck, I forget the actor's name. Um, what is it? Just, like, screaming, uh, like, just screaming and doing this, like, weird, like, comedy shtick, and it goes on <laughs> forever. Dean Sheck, Dean Sheck. Okay. It is interesting that John Woo got to make this film because this film is really unlike I mean here's the thing stylistically it has all of his the things that you would expect of oh of yeah him. It, it 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 has dudes dual wielding in slow-mo with repeat shots and crazy um you know controlled chaos action that that, that he is like he it, is known for like at one point it, it also it also has gangsters crane. Yes, <laughs> like rides a crane yeah. into a like some some bad guy. So like, there's definitely that kind of that heightened sense of action and, and all that stuff, especially compared to uh, Fallen Angels. Although like you know when we get to it, Fallen Angels has its has its moments and, and he directs it a little a little differently. But this one, there's t- there's just tons of, of action as well as all the drama that he throws in there. Yeah, this is this is just a straight up woo. action film in, yeah. in general. Yeah. O- on top of being, you know, this was supposed to be a three hour epic. This was supposed to be another like you know Vietnam 
um, epic, which which he was um, forced to cut down by the studio. And apparently there is a version out there that is like uh, two and a half hours versus like the two hours and ten minute one that is like broadly yeah. available to most people. Why is um, this one so like it's not I don't think people, you know, dislike it or anything like that. But why is it so low on his, you know, like his uh, his, his filmography for people, it seems at least in it's the popularity. It's really hard to find. It's really hard to find. Like Yeah, you, I think um, that's it. Yeah, uh, like okay. it took me years to find it, and um, once you do find it, the subtitles that were available—I don't know about you all—the subtitles that were available for me are not very good. Yeah, they uh, weren't for me either. They were a little yeah. off. There was some yeah. some mistakes, and there was also parts where they the characters were speaking English, and the subtitles for their English was like wrong. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So the yeah. the the sub the subtitle translation is not super great. I mean, you can definitely get the gist of what's happening, especially because John Woo is such a a visual yeah. filmmaker. Absolutely. Much much of the sequencing and the emotion comes through in the performances and the way that he shoots them um, and the way, especially the way that he edits them as we, as it gets into like the, the finale and stuff like that. Um, so I, I feel like this film is, you know, you can still get a lot out of it despite that. But yeah, I think it is yeah. just, it, it is one of his films that just hasn't had a very good transfer to home release. So if you didn't catch this right. you know, in its, in its run, um, yeah. it, it's not the, it's not as easy to find as, you know, a Blu-ray of mission impossible too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if if I had to speculate why it's not as popular as his other stuff too, um, it it so it is very much a John Woo movie and it's a very much an action movie, but it I mean it doesn't really have as much of the I I, I hate to use this word I, I hate how it makes me sound like a like an epic <laughs> film writer, but it it doesn't have the same like kind of badass effect that um, the killer and hard boiled do. Like even mm-hmm. as sad as like the killer gets. Um, you know, that movie has all these, like, absolutely great stunts with um, Chow Yun-Fat just, like, kicking tables and stuff. And this one, I mean, it obviously has some really, really great um, and iconic moments in it. Like, the scene where uh, Simon Yam is introduced, I imagine we'll get to it later, is one of my favorite moments in any movie ever. But, yeah, it, it's just, it's not quite as much of a John Woo movie as his other big releases like hard boiled and the killer and even a better tomorrow. Well, cause I mean, he, he's always focused on destruction in his action, but this is the time where he's merged his destruction with sort of like the, the drama of destruction, like, like in, in, yeah. in war, like it's a little bit different in that. Like, like we, when we talked about the killer, we had a great time talking about how like unrealistic it's, it's action is and the fact that it's still like tangible is is like really amazing and you know the the blood squibs and the flying debris and the breaking glass and people destroying entire walls and you know so like there's there's a lot of really great stuff happening in there and the way that he use applies it in the killer is as a sort of like an extension or an expression of the sort of like melodramatic feelings that those characters have and we spent a lot of time talking about how like chow yun fat is like yes he's a hardened killer but you know he's got a lot. He's got feelings too. And there's a scene yeah. there where he's like um, betrayed by um, you know sort of like his his contact that gets him um, the hits that he does for money. And he finds out that that dude um, has basically like sold him out. And just like the look of like pain and hurt on his face 
that John Woo focuses on, followed by the like immediately overkill destruction of him pointing <laughs> the gun like at the door and shooting like more bullets than his gun could possibly hold. And it, that sense is like John Woo sort of getting into his character's headspace and physically releasing that through right. his his action. And in there, you know, sometimes that can come off like a little cheesy to people because, you know, the sort of like the, the heightened emotions um, might not, you know, necessarily apply, you know, to, you know, sort of assassins um, to, to people in a way that like translates to something. I mean, maybe not relatable is the word, but something that's like very easily understood. Whereas yeah. like uh, a situation like um, uh, war, for example, is something where I think that you can more easily get into that sense of destruction as like this giant wave of emotional pain as well as a, as a physical one. And there is a lot of like emphasis on like he takes images of like peaceful protesters being, um, you know, shot down in the streets um, and he'll do like a slow-mo sequence that feels more brutal even than, you know, um, you know, a dude dual wielding, uh, <laughs> gunning yeah. down a dude like in hard boiled and blood squibs flying everywhere. And like, obviously tangibly it's very brutal, but there's something here that just feels more brutal because of the subject matter of the film. I feel like there, there is absolutely a world where this film is played all the time on spike TV and it's like your dad's favorite movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's definitely less like, you know, the killer, uh, when I first saw the killer, when I was in high school, I didn't like it one because I was an idiot, but two, because, um, you know, it is really hard. especially like when you're younger and you're, you used to newer movies. Um, what is it to really get on his emotional wavelength? But, uh, mm -hmm. once you do, uh, this film might actually be like the kind of the easiest one to get on the wavelength of, because again, you know, it is yeah, such a different environment. It's, uh, you know, so just brutal and it, it's, I think it's more easily understood the emotions rather than, you know, hard boiled where you have these like, you know, big emotions for a movie where, you know, it's fundamentally or not fundamentally, but a lot of it is just about, you know, Chow Yun-Fat just being the absolute coolest guy ever. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, was something. And, 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 and like they have those melodramatic character moments in there. And I feel like, you know, in, in certain ways, he just doesn't spend he doesn't actually spend too much time on the drama to develop them because it's not really what he's trying to do in that film. He, it's just that's how he views sort of like character writing when he's when he's writing. Um, but this I do agree is that like I feel like the war and especially this specific Vietnam War sort of genre of film, it's just very easy for people to, you know, get involved with the characters' experiences. And, like, it, it is, like, I feel like definitely something that's easier for people uh, to latch onto and not, like, make fun of. Because obviously John Woo is someone who, um, you know, he's very well respected, but there are certain elements, especially in his Hollywood films, where people are like, oh, that's so over the top, and it doesn't, I, I don't, you know, they, they kind of uh, look down on it a little bit in that way. I feel like this one, it's kind of hard to do because he is accessing you know sort of your memories of something like the deer hunter or casualties of war and then applying you know his absurd over-the-top sort of action to it but people are again sort of used to seeing that i mean people something in like platoon you know platoon has its fair share of you know uh 
slow-mo being gunned down, arms in the air, fire going up into the sky. And, you know, it, it's obviously Choruses, meant as like, like this. choirs. Yeah, and like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, there, there is a sense of, like, operatic nature to this kind of genre that John Woo, uh, seeing him apply it to it. I mean, obviously his action is still way more over the top than uh, in, you know, certain other war films that you would see. Not that those and films are more of it realistic and in any sense. And more, the, the, yes. Like, you have, like, characters doing flips in, like, a POW camp. It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you just, awesome. it's stuff that you don't, you don't really see. And it's interesting. I actually watched, uh, after I watched this, I watched uh, Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage. Uh, his yes. like World War Two movie that he does about the uh, uh, the uh, the Native Americans that helped with like the code so the Japanese couldn't understand them while they were communicating with each other, and mm-hmm. the way that he films it is like, unlike anything I've ever seen when it comes to like a World War film, just because it's Wu. So you know what does yeah. he do? He's got people getting stabbed left and right. He's got explosions. (laughs) People are flying people like it's just, and it's all, you know, real effects. So, you know, you got the squib work and the explosions are right beside the actors and all this, this craziness. Um, and so I just find it very fascinating that that's what he does with, uh, with like war violence. Whereas what I'm used to seeing is more so just, you know, kind of like they're on a line and you'll see like kind of one person as they're shooting get shot down and you know it's obviously emotional cuz it's it's a war and they're they have the brotherhood and all that but seeing this kind of chaos and destruction it it's it, it kind of it, it reminds me a little bit of how they do like the heightened violence in um uh, that Mel Gibson movie that came out just a few years ago. Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, yeah, where it's just yeah. so, like, just in-your-face, explosive, almost over the top. But it's kind of expressing just that that feeling of what they probably do while they're on the battlefield going through all that chaos. Um, yeah. Another thing, too, is we were talking about uh, Wu always doing his, his cool guy thing. Like... With this, he has moments of it uh, with uh, Bullet in the Head. But there's, you know, like with, uh, I can't remember if it was Hard Boiled or The Killer, but there's one moment where the guy uh, lights his cigarette on the flaming dude's body or his head or something like that. <laughs> and like, there's no, there's no shot really like that yeah, I think too that much. was Hard Boiled. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Hard Boiled. And there's, there's nothing really like that. Instead, you have, uh, you know, uh, soldiers forcing friends to shoot American soldiers in the head and you know like they're yeah. they're holding the people and and forcing everyone to watch and it almost some at one point feels like John Woo is forcing you to watch this kind yeah. of craziness yeah that's that, that that's yeah. definitely John Woo's version of the Russian roulette scene from the tear hunter yeah yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> exactly the clo- the closest that we uh the closest that we get is the absolutely awesome entrance of Simon Yam, a uh, like a contract killer for the CIA. Um, what is it? He like you know he's in the bar with the gang, and he what is it? Tony Lung's character goes to the bathroom, and uh, then what is it? I'm a believer. A cover of I'm a believer starts playing, and <laughs> Tony Lung turns around, and Simon Yam is just like staring at him, and just with this like perfect like ice cold knowing look tony lung steps out of the way and then simon yam just absolutely just shoots a guy down at the bathroom it is while he's pissing. so fucking awesome <laughs> yeah that is the closest thing to like a conventional like 
yeah, John Woo move, moment in the movie. And it is, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. and I, I, I think it's important, too, because where his character kind of en- ends up going, too, is that he starts out as he would, he is the one character in this film who has walked out of something like the killer and into the situation. Yeah, I was just going to say um, that. Absolutely. Yeah, he... he like he he and I mean he is he's he's a, a hired hitman, um, but they do get involved with sort of like the the state politics element of him being sort of like CIA, which ends up being actually why the three of them get captured and brought to that camp. These just three Hong Kong friends, yeah. Um, and then they think that one of them is CIA because um, he had like CIA plan documents. Uh, to like steal from the south and 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 sell to the north um and so he comes back trying to like save them basically thinking that he sort of like ruined them a little bit and his sort of end result is that he just has like this giant like burn scar on the one side of his face basically and he's the one character who kind of accepts it as like a, a consequence of the trade that he's involved in yeah. but there is like there there is no real um, like his, the way that the story ends with him, there's nothing really cool about it. It's just like he due to like a dumb mistake, basically got a bunch of people killed and mutilated and then ends up, you know, sort of mutilated himself by the end and yeah. helps one of the dude sh- shoots the other dude to put him out of his misery. So like by the time, like, I feel like there's elements of this where like it starts out like that is where, they first get a glimpse of sort of like the criminal underworld aspect of what's happening in Saigon. Um, and that element John Woo does in his sort of like cool gangster style. But the second they leave that and they actually like exit um, sort of like the nightclub shootout, which is probably the most like, you know, blatantly cool action set piece in the film, which is just them shooting their way out like Scarface style, like out of a, <laughs> out of sort of like a gangster stronghold. Um, after that, all of the sequences become more of like what you would expect of a Vietnam War action scene where it's like them being hounded by both um, the military, the South uh, military, as well as the gangsters and just um, sort of like the, the bodily uh, harm that gets dealt out to them and that they're forced to deal out to others as they're being tortured and stuff like that. Because it's worth mentioning, too, that it takes a while to actually even get to the Vietnam aspect of this film. It takes like 40 oh, yeah. minutes or so because the, the first part of it, very, very similar to the structure of the deer hunter, which spends the first almost entire half of the film just... Um, hanging out with three friends in, I think they're in Philadelphia in that film, or um, maybe it's Detroit, I can't remember now. But either way, they spend the first half of that film just like hanging out, just being friends. They go to a wedding, everyone's just spending the night going to the bar because they're about to ship out. Do they ride Um, bikes in slow motion? I don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. But like, like, like the, the the vibe and what he's trying to achieve is something similar. Where you just get into these are childhood friends hanging out in sort of like their domestic home. It's almost yeah. has like a like a cutesy West Side Story version of like a like gang life where they yeah. just like they, they all get out their poles and do a little bit of like martial arts against <laughs> yeah. each other. But it's, it's kind of like fun. Let's beat these uh, guys up. Yeah, We're friends. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's a it's a really great and efficient way of introducing all the characters like you know the the kind of like mo- key motif of the film is the song I'm a believer and it begins uh with like yeah an there's like a jazz cover. instrumental version of it that yeah. opens yeah. over the credits and, and they the have saxophone uh, baby 
Yeah, uh, Tony Lung's character, like Frank, like attending like dancing classes with his girlfriend. Um, <laughs> you get uh, what is it, uh, Ben, uh, who is the character uh, played by what is it, uh, Jackie Chung? Uh, what is it? Uh, just getting in like insanely brutal gang fights, but it's like you know it's played <laughs> happily. Like he's just like just like pummeling the shit out of people, and it's just got I'm a believer playing. <laughs> and then you get um, uh, Paul. What is it? Uh, who's played by YZ Lee? Uh, I'm probably butchering the name there. Uh, what is it? Just talking to his dad, and his dad saying like money is the only thing that matters in this life. And you get this quick montage of all this stuff happening, and it's like such a great way to start out the movie. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it really gets you into their group dynamics, which is important because obviously this is going to, uh, similarly to something like Casualties of War, this does become a bit of a like social moral breakdown among right. a group of friends strained by, you know, sort of like, you know, when when the act of uh, killing is, is sort of made, um, uh, I don't want to say legal, but, you know, sort of uh, encouraged um, yeah. because they, I mean, the only reason they go to Vietnam at all is literally because they, they're, they, they're going to profit is that they, they are like, yeah, you know, we, we heard that there's uh good money to be made smuggling goods inside of Vietnam right now because of the war. So they head there and they'll be like, there's going to be no problems. You know, we'll just, we'll take a little bit of penicillin from one place yeah. to the other. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Literally as soon as they show up, their car gets blown up um, with all their stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> also, and, 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 they, and they get accused of being the bombers. Uh, yeah. So then um, all the South military is basically sitting there trying to figure out who they are, being like, we're going to execute you. And they literally, the first thing that happens to them when they arrive is they see like a dude executed in a way that sort yeah. of like matches that real footage um, that we've seen out of Vietnam. Of they the were very yeah, close. A to really the young head. kid too. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of um, shocks them too, right? Doesn't that start to make yeah. them realize that something's going like, on here and maybe we should uh, yeah. not exactly like, mess with it. I think, and then they, Paul I, is the one that wants to keep it going because of his greed, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, earlier in the film, uh, they do kill someone. They get in, like, a fight with a local gang. And mm -hmm. uh, Tony Lung, like, uh, what is it? The Wait. gang leader... I was gonna say it, it's it, it's yeah. worth mentioning too that the reason it happens it's it's very cute it's because yeah. um, uh, not Paul uh, there's Paul ben. ben and who's the third one it's Frank, Frank. Frank. so Frank yeah. uh, Frank borrows money from a gangster for Ben's wedding reception and then he and then the gangster comes to him being like you owe me yeah. money and they beat him in the street and then they like, okay, well you can't beat you can't beat up our friend. So they all decide to help Frank out and go and beat the guy back up. And they accidentally kill him while they're doing yeah. that in a scene, obviously with John Woo, with crazy dollies going through fire as Tony yeah. Lung is yeah. uh, drop kicking a dude to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's the Just, scene with the crane where he like, uh, where he yes, swings that's where on he the, crane the crane and runs into a guy. <laughs> yeah, no, but like this scene, uh, this scene is where, the film takes a pretty distinct shift from, you know, like, you know, uh, Felipe Furtado's great review calls it like a 1960s nostalgia piece. And yes. when it becomes like this, oh, shit, um, like really, really dark war movie when you, you know, they later cut to just like Ben and Frank just like throwing up in a river um, after seeing this kid get murdered John Woo style with like a... Um, like, I believe it's a statue of, like, fuck, I don't know. But, like, there's a 
a lot of religious iconography uh, mm-hmm. while the kid gets executed. And then I yeah, think- and then uh, and and then it's uh, obviously they are forced to run because they've accidentally killed sort of a gangster, and they fear the repercussions because both obviously the the cops are looking for them and the gangsters are all looking for them. So that's when they decide that they have to leave. And it's like he just got married like the night before, and his wife finds out that he spent basically his wedding night like murdering someone, and obviously yeah. she is very um, <laughs> like disgusted by that. Pretty big red flag. Like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and he's basically like, look, I have to go. Uh, whoops. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and she's... Time to do basic- war crimes. She, she's basically like... When I'm back. like yeah, she, she's kind of like, don't come back. Like, you're going to do whatever the hell you want to do uh, because that's just who you are. And, you know, you thought killing someone was a great idea on the night of our um, wedding. And he basically is looking at um, sort of like a riot that's happening um, in Hong Kong. And the the imagery sort of like um, references the 1989 um, Tiananmen Square riots that happened in Beijing, which apparently people weren't super stoked about in in, in China to see that on screen. Um, But so he he has that happening, which is sort of just a, a bit of like an illusion of like things to come. And he's just like, look, I can leave the chaos of here and go to Vietnam and make some money and come back. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. V- Vietnam's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she has a really important line, which is um, everywhere is the same or something like that, where she's basically yeah, like, no matter where this. you go, it's yeah. going to look like this. And the way that John Woo like focuses just on the imagery of, um, you know, sort of like the riots happening and the people being beaten and, and, and the blood. And then there's a, a bu- try, dude trying to defuse a bomb who gets his limbs ripped off as the bomb explodes. And it's like superimposed and crossfaded with Tony Lung's face, like looking at it. And he's just like, yeah, I'm sure that this isn't going to be like Vietnam. I'm sure yeah. it's not. And yeah. then the first thing he does when he gets there is he sees the kids executed and he sees peace protests going on that are being where uh, protesters are being shot down. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a great time. For everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. making great decisions, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so they, 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 I think I think they say new place, new hope. Uh, they're killing the Vietnamese. It has nothing to do with us. We're here to get rich. Yeah. You, you see them, like, when they're, uh, like, being, like, you know, held prisoner by the South Vietnamese. Um, you know, when they're trying to figure out who blew up the car. Uh, what is it? They have them, like, saying, like, we're Chinese, we're Chinese. And, uh, like, they just get completely ignored. Um, and it's yeah. only when the kid fesses up that they, like, get left alone. Yeah, they come very close to getting shot in the head themselves in that scene. Very close. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean they, they they I mean the the just the the threat of violence is just always there. Like even in the images when like the peace the images of the peaceful protesters like marching down the street, the the camera always sort of like moves over to the right in the foreground to like shows the like the the gun barrels imposing um, on them, which then obviously it explodes um, into violence and um, he and this violence sort of, isn't fun. Right. It's like we've had like a good hour of watching them just kind of playfully kick everybody's ass and get revenge and whatever. And now it's just in their faces and and they and you feel like they're powerless, too, because, you know, that these guys have this, you know, they got the skill to kick some ass. But it's just such an overbearing power once they get to uh, Vietnam that, you know, they they can't handle it themselves. 
Yeah, and I, I love how Ben's first thought is to also, like, free a prostitute from, like, the local mafia. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, which which obviously also doesn't end up uh, going well. She ends up getting shot in the crossfire as they're trying to, like, get her out of there. But they're also yeah. trying to do a deal with the guy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no. I, I mean, I mean, that's the situation they end up having to shoot their way out of midway through the film through through the nightclub. Um, yeah. The, the last, like, really uh, conventional shootout that happens, um, I guess until the ending, um, what is it? It takes place in a nightclub where, um, you know, Simon Yam basically uh, wants to double-cross the local mafia um, and help free this prostitute that he's in love with. It's, like, very... It's it's basically, like... He, he kind of... It's kind of like a reprise of the uh, arc from the killer, but sort of in the background. And... Um, uh, she is also a nightclub singer too. So, um, oh right, yeah, because that's the yeah. in the in, in the killer he he accidentally blinds yeah. the nightclub singer, who then he then yeah. uh, very regretfully um, pursues because he feels so bad about doing that collaterally. Yeah, there's some real um, like uh, like sadness when it comes to her too, because I mean she goes through all that abuse and and horror, and then at the tail end of when they're about to get, I think it's when they're about to get on the boat. Is that when she gets shot? Yeah. And then, well, yeah. she she finally dies. Oh, okay, so she's right. She's been shot, and they've been carrying her, I believe. And then, well, I mean, yeah, there was yeah. so there was so much uh, gunfire. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> in, just, in that particular set piece, it's just <laughs> chaos. But that image of her like floating in the river beside their boat, and then her passport With her beside red dress. her as well. Yeah, like it's just oh my god, it's it, it, there's just such uh there's there's no there's just such a lack of of cool in, in this movie yeah. and it's just so like, hard hitting and depressing for, for, for woo it, in uh, the killer, you know, the killer has like a famously like really dark ending, but there is absolutely. some like, there's like a, absolutely. it's very operatic. Like you yeah. have uh, that amazing shot of the now blind. Um, what is it? Chow Yun fat, like just cli- like crawling across the ground, looking for the nightclub singer and just not finding her before he dies. Oh God. Um, yeah. Yeah, in uh, this one, she just like kind of just stops being like they get ambushed by the Viet Cong and the, what is it? She basically just stops being alive, um, and they just kind of let her float into the river. And there's like yeah, it's they sort just of poetic imagery, <laughs> but it, it's very it's like not dwelt upon as you would have expected. Um, oh no, sorry, it's not it's not uh, the Viet Cong. It's the South Vietnamese that attack them. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, because that's 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 later down down river that yeah. they are uh, uh, kept yeah. prisoner by 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 the north. But that nightclub shootout, it is it is cool, but also I do think that like some of the like blood effects are more horror than than John Woo has done previously. Like yeah. when you see Simon Yam like throwing knives into people's necks and it like gushes yep. blood everywhere, like that's a little bit more like and then getting blood all over his suit and there's also a part where like blood sprays uh, a poster of um Catherine Delneuve from Umbrellas yeah. of Cherbourg and Young Girls of Rochefort which I thought was like uh, another <laughs> yeah. a- another way that he's sort of getting at like the young kids uh sort of like losing their their innocence a little bit in yeah. in that way when they return um, the posters in Simon Yam's apartment and when they like it shows up like it's they see it first when they're at his house and it's like just a normal poster. And when they come back to it, there's just holes in it. And it's like, I mean, it's obvious, but it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
but but this is just the one where he does like the most yeah. like like sort of like hitmen shooting their way outside of a nightclub uh shooting down a bunch of gangsters is much closer and the way that he's choreographed it with like the explosions and the debris and the glass and the drywall uh going everywhere it's it's the closest we get to sort of like a killer or hard-boiled-esque set piece yeah but then it's when they get outside and they start trying to escape and you know you get sort of like the outside location work which i think is done in thailand that they make look like vietnam um, yeah. that, that you get more of that wartime imagery and it gets more brutal and, and more sad. And, um, he, he really does at a certain point, like, you know, in, in a lot of his films, there's a lot of gunplay and I wouldn't say that he does it sort of consequence free, but there's definitely more focus on like the individual act of shooting someone else in this and sort of like it's rippling bodily and, and psychic consequences of it like yeah when, when he gets to when they get captured you know they, they go down river they dump the body they get and then they get captured and they do the what what is again john woo's equivalent of the russian roulette scene in the deer hunter where they force the the guys to play russian roulette against each other until you know one of them shoots themselves in the head basically yeah. but instead they just laugh and force them to kill other people and there's something interesting happening where it's like, you know, if you don't kill them, they're going to kill you. So like yeah. Ben is yelling at Frank to straight up like just Murder he's like, just guy, kill them. Yeah. Who cares about them? Just kill yeah. them. Survive. Do what you can. And uh, also there, it's the, the one time that like um, uh, Paul does an act of selflessness. Yeah, yeah, because because at, at, at this point they're also shit. fighting over the gold that they've stolen from the nightclub. Yeah, um, and, and Paul has Paul become like really attached with to the it. Gold. Yeah, they even yeah. have that yeah. scene <laughs> with the where there he points the gun at at Ben, and then Frank is pointing the gun at him. And I think it's either Ben or Frank that says like, "We've been friends for ten years, and you have like the balls to fucking point a gun at me for gold right now." You know, like it's, yeah, like what that's the, the going I think on, that's yeah. and I think that's actually that's the moment that uh, I believe the the singer's name was Sally. I think. Uh, and yeah. she dies, and then that's yeah. when Paul starts to really show his his true colors with everything because he starts saying like, yeah. "It's better off that she's dead." You know, now we, you know, it's it's less to it's less of a burden. We don't have to carry her around. We've got the gold. You know, like yeah. he, he really starts to show his uh, his true colors his, before that that war scene or the prison big moment. Camp. Um, his big moment comes well, not his big moment, but like his like big like character defining moment comes earlier. You know, when the execution scene happens to the kid, you know, you obviously have Ben and Frank who are just, like, disgusted and just horrified. Yeah. And Paul realizes, like, if you have a gun, you have power. So he goes on and he drags uh, Frank along and just, like, robs a, like, just robs a store. Um, And then Frank's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And Paul's just like, give me the fucking money. It's, um, (laughs) yeah. And then by the time here, uh, like, uh, Paul has just fully become, like, just this, just wealth obsessed um and he also gets a kid yeah. almost killed doing that right isn't there like a son it's like a father son dynamic in the in the convenience store that he tries to rob because i think the mm-hmm. the the dad like takes out a gun and then a, a younger dude maybe it's not his son but i just kind of assume with the variety store and all that but a younger uh like teenager comes out and i can't remember if he gets shot or not but he definitely puts a teenager in danger you know and this is yeah. supposed to be our protagonist in a way i guess i mean they're definitely yeah. well, uh, <laughs> well and then and he, he he starts like just going insane sort of like treasure of sierra 
Madra style, basically, yeah. like over over the, the the treasure, which obviously we just saw recently that uh, Spike Lee did something similar in 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 his Defy Bloods, doing a Vietnam film about people sort of going a little bit crazy over you know sort of like buried treasure in in a way. Um, and what was interesting was to see um, sort of like the way that John Woo um, depicts, you know. He, he, he merges it with this very horrifying, like, moral dilemma suspense sequence of, like, do you shoot someone else to stay alive? Yeah. Uh, the moral, the, and, and, and where, like, And how where, many? Because he has the and, guy and, do it, like, four and, times. And, and, yeah, and do you really have a choice? And, you know, so he's doing a clear, like, morality play here. And Paul, uh, because he's so distressed at that point over, over Frank, he basically just says, look, I'm CIA. I'm CIA. Take me in. Yeah. Um, that that whole sequence kind of has Paul like it's like basically is it's he it's when he crosses the line, but he is also like to Wu's immense credit, they don't like they don't let him just like keep being extremely evil during that scene. Like even yeah. he like sees his friends like you know uh, Paul basically or like Frank basically has to like shoot all of these like captured American GIs. And like mm-hmm. Ben is just like, just like, just do it, just do it, just they're gonna kill you. Just come on, just be strong. You can do this. Yeah, um, yeah. And Paul is trying to help, like, just tries to help them. Yeah, and and what, what's interesting too is that so so Paul, it, it's this situation that takes him from someone who is a little, you know, getting a, he's he's greedy. He's being a little bit driven by sort of like the um, sort of individual gain that they hope to achieve, which is to be fair, why they came to Vietnam in the first place, and being yeah. torn a little bit by the experiences of his friends. Um, but then this sort of like sheer brutality and sort of inhumanity is what kind of snaps inside of him, and. So he goes from sort of like saving Frank to saving Frank actually being a hindrance on his survival because yeah. Frank is basically sort of like screaming as um, the North Vietnamese are fighting a bunch of American GIs who are there to obviously save their people from the prisoner camp. Um, but also yeah. Simon Yam uh, has shown up to basically try and save um uh, these guys who obviously helped <laughs> Action him hero uh, style. Uh, yeah. get out of the nightclub. Yeah, so he so you get like four different sort of motivations and situations are playing out in this one moral dilemma uh, wartime sequence, basically. And basically, Paul does the titular bullet in the head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he, he shoots Frank in the head because Frank is, uh, he, he won't shut up. He's basically yeah. screaming for help. And he thinks that it's going to blow, you know, sort of like their sort of vague hiding spot. And but he puts it on an angle where it basically doesn't kill him. It just yeah. gets lodged in his brain and basically puts him in sort of like immense uh, pain uh, and misery and, and definitely also psychological sort of, distress. <laughs> He's yeah, not yeah, all well, there and, at the and, end. And, and, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely um, like disables him at the same time. Yeah. Well, um, one thing I want to add about this future like, tragedy yeah. that we'll talk about. No. Well, the concentration camp scene is that, um, you know, Frank is just, like, not able to, like, he kills a couple people in the concentration camp, but eventually he's just, like, he breaks. Like, he's just, like, screaming and flailing, and he won't kill anyone else. And then Ben just, like, is like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let me do it. I I like killing Americans. Yeah. And, like, (laughs) Ben, like, 
Ben obviously is just like has to psych himself out into doing it. Like he like points a gun at um a uh, at like a I believe a American troop, and he just starts like screaming and then just shoots like crazy. And eventually they're like, "Okay, here's your next target." And then they point at Frank, and that's when they're yeah, like, "Yeah." Tony Lung's performance in that scene is like really, really devastating because you can oh, tell yeah. that he's he's putting on like a macho performance so that his because his friend is broken and he's like, "You yeah. can't take any more. I I can do it. I'll take the the load from him basically." And then yeah, yeah and then they turn it on him and say, "Okay, so shoot him then." Yeah, <laughs> and basically and call call his bluff call a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they basically have to. Uh, they basically do like a suicidal stunt where they like sh- like they um, uh, Frank and Ben, you know, kind of team up and just shoot everyone around them, and they like you know take one hostage, and it, it sort of looks like they're just like you know trying to make a last stand basically, but then you know the American troops show up with Simon Yam. Yeah, so then you, then you get to sort of like action scenes merging into each other and John Woo's again sort of like hyperkinetic sort of chaotic action. It was really interesting seeing him being able to take his, you know, usually he has like the interiors of, you know, like a bar being exploded by gunfire, but here he's sort of like outdoors and he gets to incorporate like dropping bombs and stuff into his sort of, uh, his... Uh, his tools for how to achieve um, maximum destruction within a scene and how to get people flying and screaming and (laughs) crying. (laughs) This is probably his, uh, this whole sequence is probably one of his like best feats of editing because there's a lot of stuff in it. That's just like stock footage from the Vietnam war. And there's like other Vietnam war film, like B roll in there also, but he brings it together like pretty seamlessly. I didn't even oh, notice. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, notice, I didn't notice until I was like just like like looking it up and like just checking out some stuff for the production of the movie. And yeah, no, wow. he, he, there's apparently some like you know stuff that wasn't even shot for this movie in there. But he's such a great editor; he can just make it all flow together perfectly. Yeah, well, and then to also do that while also again, this is it, it's one some of the hardest point of editing too because he's telling so many different individual stories. Again, we have Simon Yam coming in trying to save them we have ben ben and frank's story is sort of connected for a large part of it but ben and frank are obviously going through two very different experiences and then paul gets separated from them and is going through his own experience and then you have the north vietnamese fighting the americans yeah (laughs) so you have kind of like six different groups of characters here um going through their you know being sort of forced together in a single action scene which is also a hugely dramatic point and obviously the you know the the biggest point of um sort of like moral conflict in the film which is paul you know going from wanting to help frank to being like frank is now a hindrance on my own survival to shooting him to um they pick up frank's body who's still alive and take him out and ben um follows Frank basically trying to to escape and watches Frank just massacre a bunch of civilians to steal their boat and <laughs> get out of there. Including kids, with, too. Yeah. Or, or Paul massacre a bunch of civilians. Or, sorry, Paul does yeah. that, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Frank, yeah. Frank's got a bullet in his head. He's not doing great yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, Frank's yeah, trying Paul, his best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah, uh, you bring home the Apocalypse Now comparison. What is it? This is sort of like the char- the moment in that film where uh, they machine gun down a boat of civilians because they think they might have a bomb, but it's just right. a dog. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically, I think this is the moment where uh, Paul, I- either with, like, just the insane 
trauma of what he'd just been through or even the guilt of having shot his friend, he just, like, just completely snaps, go, becomes completely psychotic and just mows down a bunch of just, like, villagers. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and and Tony Lung gets to watch it the same way that he's been watching, like, previously he's been watching rioters get shot by police, and here he is watching his childhood friend massacre people in the exact same way. Because previously, yeah. you know, John Woo has very heavily focused on Tony Lung's face as he watches this sort of, like, brutal violence being dealt out, and now here he is experiencing it on, like, a, a very personal level. And actually, he tries to save um, one of the children and also gets caught in the crossfire and gets his arm shot as he goes down and then he passes out and has only actually saved because a bunch of uh, Vietnamese monks find him drifting in the water. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the Avatar stole that from this. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but, then, but then it's been going back to Saigon looking for Frank because he hears from Simon Yam's character Luke that Frank um, is alive but Frank's basically like is he? Is he though? Yeah. Go and go the, see for yourself. He's basically think, a a hitman for money so that he can afford heroin so that his brain will you know leave him alone. Yeah. And he doesn't look he, like he the has, most calculated hitman either. <laughs> he, he has like <laughs> severe brain damage and he basically in a scene that like in a different movie, it could be like darkly comic or whatever, but it is so sad. Where he's just oh, it's like, so sad. He, he just walks up to like, he's just like, yeah, I'm a hitman. He just like does like the world's easiest hit where he just walks up to a car, guy steps out of the car, he just shoots him a bunch of times. And then the person in the taxi cab just like, throws the money at him and then just drives off. It's like, yeah, whatever. And, and, and it's so funny how, how fast uh, he, like John Woo does this all in one scene. He right. w- grabs that money and immediately runs to the drug and dealer. And runs too. Like he yeah. jogs to that drug dealer boy. Yeah. Like it's like he needs yeah. that heroin right now. It's just so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, he, and, and, and earlier too, the part that's really sad is when he's just sitting at the table waiting for the hit. He's looking at the photo of who he has to hit. And then he just gets like a really vicious migraine and he's like slapping himself in the head and screaming while people are like looking at him because that's how, you know, that's how in pain he is and why he needs the, the, yeah. the, the heroin. And I don't think they even yeah. show it with, with Frank, but I think earlier on they, they show you that, that Sally, the singer who was also uh, a prostitute for the gang or whatever, uh, she was being held and she had all of these like holes in her, in her arm yes. and like this shot yep. is just so it's just you know one two second shot but you know like her arm is purple you can see all of the individual holes so you know that there's been a long time of this ha- occurring and so when you see frank starting to do it i don't think he shows like an arm shot or anything like that but you already have that kind of in your head and so it's just even sadder uh to watch frank yeah, go through because this. because you 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 get that while sally's you know explaining like her story of being basically enslaved to a gangster right. um and there there is a sense that like you know uh john woo is very vividly capturing so much on screen like bodily and emotional yeah. pain basically and and so at a certain point you almost you honestly are like you know good good for frank <laughs> he deserves a break <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, shoot uh, up buddy but, the, but and then yeah. and then when ben when ben gets there and tony lung like looks at him and sees you know what 
he's become and starts talking to him and talking about, you know, getting in trouble as kids with their mom, talking about how, you know, he he cared so much about Ben that he borrowed money um, from from gangsters to, you know, make sure that his friend could have a good wedding. And he starts trying to access his memories and being like, dude, you're still in there. I believe that you're in there. And this dude just looks at him and he's he's like drooling he's he's hardly there he very clearly is in is in pain and he he can't even register who he'll become a vegetable or something like that yeah 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 and 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 at some point he pulls out a gun and starts trying to shoot uh ben because he's taking his heroin from him and stuff like that. right right yeah (laughs) Um, just lost yeah um, eventually, like, uh, Simon Yam's like, you gotta put him out of his misery. Like, he is not living. And, um, like, eventually, um, what is it? You know, Ben pulls out the gun, points it at his head, and is, like, you know, like, yelling. And the one moment of lucidity Frank has is when he sees the gun, he knows what's going on, he grabs the gun, and he moves it down to his heart. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, they, just one of the most brutal moments because he's like look i've been shot in the head and it didn't put me out of my misery dude you gotta put it right down here and yeah when he does that i just like lost it and it's suppressing to feel like because we've seen frank in his mental state and his physical state and so for him to be coherent enough that he's like i do want to go though like that's just so sad that's like the only thing that he can really understand is that he doesn't want to be here anymore and that is just holy hell (laughs) Yeah. That's depressing. Um, yeah. 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 And, so, and, and, and all of this was caused by his childhood friend. Right. Um, yeah. they so, rode bikes like, with like, 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 con- yeah, yeah, like contrast that with the opening scenes of, you know, them hanging out and having a good time. And now here where they are because they thought that they were going to be war profiteers. They, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they, they, um, yeah. Also a little nice little bit of irony where both, uh, Paul and Ben, what is it? End up shooting Frank, but one does it out of like, you know, just panic and self-preservation and selfishness. And the other one does it out of mercy. Um, they should have been yeah. two different places. It's, yeah. you know, prime, prime woo, uh, you know, kind of yeah. parallel. Yeah, well, yeah. And, sure. and, and we should, we, we should keep in mind too, that this all goes back to, to the scene where they are basically being forced to shoot other people is this is again, he's in his own way being forced to shoot another person. Uh, because again, yeah. how you know he basically risked his 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 own life, and basically, as as Spencer put it, they they basically do like a suicide escape mission because he won't shoot Frank, and now here all of a sudden he is point blank choosing to shoot Frank yeah. um, within like you know a half hour later, maybe not yeah not even that long, maybe like twenty minutes later yeah. Um, um, but th- but this all leads us back to the finale where Ben leaves. Um, Vietnam, a, a completely changed person. Simon Yam. This is where Simon Yam reveals that he has like the entire uh, scarred side of his face. Yeah, uh, and he's basically like, "I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing because I don't really know what else to do." Yeah, um, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing CIA stuff. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. start selling crack now. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and Ben goes back to Hong Kong to deal with um, Paul. Who had who last he saw was massacring civilians to escape with the gold, and now he's a um, successful businessman. Yeah, oh, that's that, the order that's all of things, things, man. Yep, that's the yep. order. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, circle he, he, of he life. Follows the, 
He follows the American dream of doing war crimes in Vietnam and then immediately starting a, becoming a <laughs> member of a business that uh, also does war crimes. Um, being probably. being uh, upgraded to corporate CEO. With yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have to hold the gun anymore. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, no, and so uh, before, before Ben and uh, Paul have their confrontation, Ben, uh, what is it, uh, sees his wife again and they have like a nice little you know, reunion and it's kind of ambiguous, but it's a nice little moment between the two. Um, what is it? You know, they kind of embrace and it's like, you know, good, good, glad that you're back or whatever. And then Ben goes, shows up at the board meeting and then causes, uh, the, the one thing you don't want to see happen while you're getting a promotion where, where Paul basically, uh, what is it? Like Ben shows up and he's like, Hey, uh, uh, like Paul at first is just like just sees him's like oh hey 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 uh, half of my stuff is yours like you can kind of see him like the cogs turning in his head and trying to you know it's like yeah you're my friend I'll give you some money and then what is it just fucking Ben's like yeah yeah care to explain this and then he pulls out Frank's skull <laughs> with the hole just puts what it on move. the table and it's like you did in, this. in the middle of a corporate board meeting yeah, all, of his bo- <laughs> all of his bosses yeah. are just staring at this entire sequence like just oh yeah. man it's so funny in the darkest yeah. way possible yeah it's just like yeah you yeah you you, you did this and then, and then here's the bullet literally yeah literally paul's reaction is that could be anyone's skull um, <laughs> oh god is that when he it's shows him the when bullet I, it doesn't yeah, he show him? He's like, no, it can't because here's where you shot him right there. It's here's the evidence, the physical proof. I, uh, yeah, yeah it, and, and, it, and and well, yeah, and, and and he he says to him, he's just like, why didn't you just aim straight and yeah. kill him? I, I would have yeah. rather you killed our friend yeah. than he spent the few months that he did the way that I saw him because you never got to see. And what now he I had to like. kill him. <laughs> yeah, because because he was like, not only was it terrible that you killed a friend over money. Um, just in general. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like, you You also put him through the most pain he could have possibly gone through while you were doing it. Which, um, which, which is, so, so, so then it turns into a finale where he's basically here to get revenge. And I, I love how fast it goes from that corporate boardroom meeting to down into the parking lot. And <laughs> yeah. from the parking lot, yeah. it starts this car chase sequences, which is one of my new favorite sequences, basically, in any John Woo film. I, I, I want to say that, I, I want to say that, um, uh, one thing that's kind of amazing is that uh, so there's like a billion different cuts of this movie because like you know as with as with a lot of movies um, uh, you know there's you know, there's like a 120 minute version I feel like I've heard that there's like a 100 minute version that my friend watched that was described as incoherent uh, but the <laughs> okay. uh, 120 the 120 minute version I think actually ends in the boardroom. Um, which which is such a shame because the last ten yeah. minutes that are included in this car chase it's sequence insane. are the best. Are I can't believe you would cut that. That's crazy. I, I, I'll confess, the first time I watched this, I kind of was like, yeah, maybe it would have been better if it ended in the boardroom because, like, it does have this like very quiet, poetic, like, you know, sad moment, like you know, show yeah, because like, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. in that other scene, he probably shoots him in the head in the boardroom meeting and returns the favor, basically, in front uh, of everyone. Or does I, he just I leave him with the skull? Know. I think they <laughs> just leave him with the skull. Um, oh, wow. Uh, so it, it has this very, like, kind of... Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the 120-minute cut. More dramatic and 
based yeah. on the emotion. Even though I, I would argue, I mean, with the with the this heightened action sequence that happens, that's very yeah. emotional. Just well, because that's John Woo's thing, man. Exactly. That's where he, that's where his emotion comes across exactly. is through in these these yeah. huge physical gestures right. of people's pain being expressed, like through their action. Um, and, and the way that these cars are ramming into each other and the way that they're looking at each other and the way that they're like firing their guns at each other in the cars, moving at fast speeds and stuff like that, like that, that, that is so so intense and it gets you so into, you know, like his sense of like melancholy and rage and everything that's kind of going on between the two. And then obviously it leads to the perfect uh, match cut editing of them driving on the exact place where they were riding their bikes earlier in the film. Right, so it starts which is to just show like, the look where they back. started, look where they are. Yeah, amazing. Oh yeah. my god, it's very don't look now. And it's, it's so uh, woo too. Yeah, it, it's very like it's like all like everything is just kind of like collapsing in on itself. Like again, like the ending of like don't look now, um, and it's oh god, it's I, I second viewing. I came around a lot on the ending, especially because I was just able to appreciate like yo, this shit slaps because it's just <laughs> it's yes. one of the cra- it's it's I, it's not as like crazy as the POW scene, but it is like one of the most impressive uh, impressive set pieces he ever made. And I think it works just on such a, an emotional level because we've been through so much with these three. And now, uh, like, I think they even bring, don't they bring the skull to the scene? So, like, like, you know, so we have that imagery, too, where we have the burning skull of Frank in the fire with, you know, once we get to it with, uh, because Ben eventually uh, uh, shoots Paul and hugs his dead body before he lets him go, too. And so we have that shot of Frank's head in the fire. Uh, Paul's just body lying there and and ben limping away with like nothing left and yeah so well, well, because movie. because technically that is the only shot of all three being reunited in hong kong yeah and it's yeah. just the saddest saddest thing ever it's 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 un, unbelievably yeah depressing. that's the, yeah. that that's that's the final shot too and i love the editing too when he's about to shoot him because it actually cuts back to him holding the um, like American prisoner that he shoots, yeah. Right. Um, and yeah. So he, he he basically treats shooting, you know, his childhood friend the same way he sh- was forced to shoot a a, a, a stranger in that sequence. Yeah. And it actually hard cuts back and forth between the two as he's about to do it, and that's after an entire crazy like um, you know sort of like emotional build up to that of them like. Uh, sort of choreographed driving cars around each other and shooting at each other, exploding tanks and fire going off everywhere. Again, just Wu's action destruction visuals just perfectly matching up with the way that these characters are are feeling in, in this sequence. I, I gotta say, in some ways, the setting is even darker than the killers because, like, you know, the killer, yeah. for as sad as it is, at least, you know, they get revenge. They get revenge on the... Uh, leader of the mob boss. It's like at the cost of everything, but they get revenge. In this case, he gets revenge on Paul, but like it's intercut with that uh, really horrible scene from the POW camp. And it's like, yeah, no, this is not, this is not revenge. This is just like, you killed your friend. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they, 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 yeah, they don't, no satisfying they, they make thing to this at all. They make yeah. clear that it doesn't feel good. That even though, yes, he's killing a psychopath who hurt his friend, it doesn't it doesn't feel like you know like an action movie revenge ending it really does just feel like the the moral weight of again uh, just just pulling a trigger and especially doing it on someone who you know you've you've known since you were a kid and i think Um, paul at one point even makes uh ben 
point his gun at Frank's head too, the skull. Yes. And so like there's yep. this, it, it, yeah. it really does come to a point where Paul has just completely lost all sense of what their, their friendship and relationship was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because, because as he makes him pointed at the skull, he also goes back to the flashback of him shooting Frank too. Yeah. Right. So, so basically Jesus both Christ. of them are going back to the scene where he shot an unarmed um, prisoner and he shot Frank and, and Paul shot Frank. So both of them are reliving like the moments where they've shot someone in the head and how terrible um, it was and how terrible it felt. And this is supposed to be a sense of um, closure on this situation. Technically. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. But 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 a Wu just goes through great pains to show you that that closure still doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It feels like there's still a transgression. There's still there's still something that has snapped and broken you as like a person. Yeah. Uh, and the the yeah and the final shot of the movie, like you know, you have like you know Ben limping away, and then the camera cranes down, and it's just smoke and fire in that skull. Yeah, um, that's the last shot of the movie. Yeah, brutal. Just uh, yeah, and then this like yeah, and then just a, a really depressing song comes on credits and yeah, and that's and that's it's like just a Smash Mouth version of I'm a Believer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw him. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I would have like yeah. Oh my god! That, that, that would have been like an American Werewolf in London type thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I also yeah, I think yeah. it's a funny thought to think like you know how his his Ben's wife was so just like what the hell are you doing at the beginning and you know if you come back it, this might not work out all that kind of stuff when he comes back it's very very kind of sweet in a way because that you see that the son was named Frank I believe uh, mm-hmm. which yeah. you know g- you know gets the heartstrings going but also I had this just this funny thought where he's like the moment he gets back he has to just tell her once again he's like all right. Uh, I gotta go back out and do something. I might not yeah. again. Real quick though, real quick though. I'll be back for yeah. dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it'll be quicker this time. And then, like, yeah. luckily he got through it, but then as he's limping away, all I can also think is, like, what's he gonna tell his wife, man? This is yeah. this is gonna be a time yeah. when he gets home. Yeah, no, fell you, down the you, stairs. You, yeah. You, you, you do get a sense from the ending that, like, you know, there there is no going back like it is just a like the 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 sort of um bodily and mental scars of kind of like what has happened he's just going to carry with him the same way that yeah. he kept flashing back while yeah. during the final set piece that they're gonna he's just going to be forced to live with that for the rest of his life which is really bleak yeah very yeah. Bleak. um and it's i and, and i do understand ending. like um it is it is rumored that this is john woo's like personal favorite film of his own because he gets sort of like emotionally swept up in in the characters and you do sort of feel that like this is some of his like most accomplished like um like clear character work merging absolutely um sort of like his 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 action yeah um so pivoting towards the reductive rating around here because we have gone on a little bit long which for you spencer (laughs) is where we um remove all the words all the nuance and give the film a rating between uh one and five but uh it's also become like closing statements and um, if there's any any lines of dialogue or any scenes we didn't hit that you wanted to mention we usually do it here too but for me this is this is one of my new favorite John Woo films. I mean, like I, yeah. I five star a lot of John Woo's uh, yeah. films. Like, like probably at least, 
at least at least like three i think so this has become the fourth one um uh this one gets the five for me i think that beautiful um i'm with john woo in that i think that this is um you know this is one of his most deeply felt films and he's working within a genre that like has easy access to those emotions um but again the way that he has found a way to merge them with his style that already um exists and to just accentuate both of them like all he's done is take something that already is a melodramatic genre as is and apply his own sense of it to it to heighten it um but then also he's found you know he's always wanted to do crazy over the top um feelings through tangible chaos and he has found you know a story that perfectly suits that and i do think that um both the um concentration camp suspense piece that he does um and this final sort of like uh, i think uh sydney taylor on letterbox called it um just one of the most emo car chases of all time uh, <laughs> um because it's just yeah. so obviously um sort of like broadly emotionally drawn out um i think two of these are two of my new favorite john woo set pieces just in general and they are very pivotal and they flash back to each other and intertwine in the edit to each other and so um and and all the time in between is spent just developing the characters or developing the sense of sort of like pain and brutality that they are you know eventually going to experience and be intertwined with so um for me this is just this is one of john woo's best films if not honestly maybe what it maybe like a even like a top two for me so yeah damn uh jamie you can go yeah for Um. sure uh i'm gonna give it uh the four out of five for now this is one of those films though that i feel like i'll be re-watching my entire life uh so it'll most likely get to that five i don't like i've just never seen obviously Wu has you know really heightened emotions in his films and and does have his you know depressing things here and there but this one just felt so emotionally impactful to me uh more so than any other Wu film that i've seen um that i i it's it's i think the best film in in terms of expressing how he uses like heightened and over the top violence to express emotions and relationships and things like that. Uh, I can't, I, I really do think that this might be the best one that translates that idea. And that is very just w- who John Woo seems to be as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, for, for now it's like the, the highest four I could give it, but yeah, honestly I could, I could see this uh, uh, get into that, that masterpiece status. Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, it, 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 it took me like three or four watches to get there on the killer. Yeah. So right. It, and, and I've happen- found that it, it, it happens. I think Spencer was saying he didn't upgrade it till this watch either. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I just, I've, I've said it a million times on the show. I just like to feel that five and I, I came very close. Uh, so I think it's going to get there, but it's, yeah, it's, it's without a doubt the best, uh, woo, uh, when it comes to his, you know, violence expressing emotions. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's so dark and so in your face and just so well done. So yeah, four out of five. I'm, I'm notoriously fickle with my ratings, especially, uh, this is something Spencer's known for. (laughs) Yes. Um, this, yeah, it it is, uh, I I get a lot of shit from my friends from the amount of threes and 3.5s I give, but, um, uh, I, I, I can't give this movie anything more than anything less than a five. It's it is just so Beautiful. fucking good. It is just it is like for me, it's the best John Woo film. Um, 
I love Hard Boiled. I love The Killer. I love Face Off. Um, Hell yeah. But I, I'm sorry. Like this is this is his movie right here. Um, For sure. I think that if if the three hour version still exists, it's quite possible it is literally the best movie ever made. But um, <laughs> even even I as is that badly. Yeah. Um, what is it? But even as is, it is still like just basically. It is a masterpiece, and I don't like to use that word a lot, but it is 100% um, one of the best Vietnam War films, one of the best action films. Uh, Mm -hmm. My favorite John Woo. uh, Can't praise it highly enough. If you all, um, what is it, uh, know where to get it, and uh, what is it, don't mind some spotty subtitles, do watch this. Um, It is just, oh my God, it is fucking incredible. It needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah, and even the subtitles, like, it's completely coherent. I mean, there's some things that are off here and there, but you'll be able to, you know, gather the the story and everything. A lot of it's uh, through the visuals anyway, so. Yeah, the the subtitles, the one that kind of stuck out to me and uh, my girlfriend who I was watching this with was the the part where the jewelry store gets robbed and, what is it, I believe it was uh, Frank who says, this is fuck up world or something like that. So <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, it's not great. It's not great uh, translation, but it gets the point across. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for Bullet in the Head 1990. We're going to be right back and we are going to be talking about Fallen Angels. Right, we are back and we are talking Fallen Angels, the 1995 Hong Kong crime drama film written and directed by Wong Kar Wai. Damn, we're, we, have, we haven't covered Wong Kar Wai on the show. And Jamie, if I'm this, correct, this is your first Wong Kar Wai film. Yeah, this is my very first. Really? So I was, I was just, uh, <laughs> I was blown away. I will, I will say, well, I was, it was hard to wrap my head around around everything. Just his his sense of style is is unbelievable. Like. All these, yeah. all these, and it's cool too. I think I, for how I read it anyway was he was using a lot of these kind of like wide angle lenses in very empty spaces. So it, it felt like yeah. people were constantly like you were reminded of how alone they were. Yeah, and uh, that it was yeah he's tremendous. I can't wait to check out some of his other stuff. I actually did watch the first twenty minutes because I didn't get enough time to finish it yet of uh, his a newer film of his called The Grand Master because I wanted to keep it yeah. kind of in line with like the, the action stuff that he was doing because Josh told me that mm-hmm. he mostly does like romantic dramas and things like that. Art house dramas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I... And the first 20 minutes of The Grand Master uh, was, was fucking unreal. Like the way that he... It's so good. Oh, yeah, the way that he films martial, like martial arts is it's so... Mm-hmm. Ar- it, it, it's very uh, it's very art house. There's a lot more... Instead of just like wide angles of the martial arts stuff and the Grand Master, it's more like close-ups and, and slow motion turns of the head before they fight. And, and it's it's very heightened. It's awesome. I love it. it. It's, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot less about clarity for him and more about just like you know the, the colors feels. and the movement. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, no, the Grandmaster is great. It was really underrated, I think, because the fucking Weinstein's released like a butchered cut. Um, oh, okay. And I hope I'm not watching hunt, have, that one. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Uh, yeah, definitely. I bought uh, like I imported the Blu-ray of the original cut. Um, that I still have on my shelf. Uh, that that one is essential. Um, it's. I yeah, mean, Jamie, I, you can yeah. you, you you can tell by the length because the um the um the the unfucked with cut I think is like the one that's like an hour thirty five or sorry not an hour thirty five uh, one hundred thirty five minutes I think uh, and I think if yeah. you get, if if you get two hours or under in total length that's the one that the Weinstein's really uh, damn up. I think I do yeah. have the hour fifty one so that's a bummer but <laughs> but hopefully <laughs> yeah. I since I I'm unfamiliar with the other one hopefully I can just let it go and enjoy it but we'll see. <laughs> the um I uh I, I think most of what it does I think what most of the Grandmaster's second cut does a lot it reshuffles some stuff around but it cuts this one plot line that doesn't have any direct influence on the story but is like there for parallel like for parallels okay. this is one really cool fight scene um uh no with uh I'm I'm you know it's interesting that you haven't seen Chunking Express since Fallen Angels has a lot of very deliberate like narrative rhymes to uh to chunking express okay like a lot of the events in the movie like you know uh when takeshi ganashiro is talking about you know i went mute when i ate a can of expired pineapple like his plot line in chunking express is that he's buying a lot of pineapple and when it all expires on may 1st which is when he knows his girlfriend's broken up with him he eats it all in one night um so there <laughs> there are like there, yeah, yeah, no, it, that shit like that. So happens there are, are references. Well, I mean, it, it, it's worth noting for anyone who maybe hasn't hasn't seen them or doesn't know. But Fallen Angels um, was originally conceived as just another part of Chunking Express. Yeah, like he basically oh, made really? he he basically conceived the film simultaneously, and Fallen Angels was kind of meant to be sort of like the nighttime vibe to the Chunking's more daytime vibe a little bit. Yeah, not, and, and not, still... there are nighttime seeds in Chunking, but basically, like he had two different vibes, but he con he conceived them as a one like three hour movie. And then um, while he was making Chunking, I think he realized he had enough for two movies or they uh, someone asked him to split it for commercial reasons. I'm not entirely sure, but he ended up finishing Chunking and then um, he went went on to do Fallen Angels right after. That's why they came out so close in succession. Yeah. Like they came out within like 10 months of each other or something like that. Um, does yeah. Chunking also deal with kind of like, it, does it have assassins and things like that? Uh, no, it, it, it has, it, it has it, a it, drug it focuses, dealer, but that's it. Yes. Okay. okay. And it, and it has, it has two cops who fall in, in love in, in that one. Gotcha. Um, yeah. but it, it, the, the hitman character was definitely, um, like he was meant to be Chunking deals with two stories. And this one technically, I guess deals with two stories, but the, the hitman was meant to be like the third story to the Chunking. Yeah. I um, see. The, uh, sort of like editing rhythms and patterns and 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 stuff like that. Um, but I, I do kind of appreciate that that kind of like because the 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 assassin in this movie did like because we were you were I think Josh you mentioned that this is the closest thing that he's done to like a, a John Woo kind of thing and that character yeah, is, is what to me expressed uh, something similar to what a John Woo. Uh, yeah, that that, that, I, that honestly might even be part of the reason he decided to separate it a little bit from okay. Chunking because there there is yep. no character like that in in Chunking, even though there are sort of like stylistic and universe sort of like flourishes that merge with each other and 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 yeah. things like that. Because definitely like the romantic angle of this, the sort of like lonely 
existential quality, the the, the dreamier qualities of this film. The sad wanks. Um, even yeah, even <laughs> even though he um, films them a little bit stylistically different in this, like um, the the wide angle thing is definitely more unique to the color palette's uh, darker. Um, it's, yeah. it's harsher, like, uh, Chunky Express, like, it's got these greens, but it's, 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 the best way you can describe it, it's got a lot of morning colors in it. Um, right, this one, this one is, like, yeah. Well, the, yeah, like, this one I was noticing something, a shot that just comes into my head here was, he's walking down a hall, and it's very dark, but it's, it seems to be bright outside, so, and there, and the windows are yellow, so it gives this really kind of eerie yellow tint to everything uh, as it goes. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of, of that where it's like dark, uh, dark rooms or hallways, but then the either maybe it's like the neon sign that's outside or, or it's actually daytime, but these, these places are so just like small and kind of gross and dark that it gives this nighttime vibe. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. lot of that. And one just, that just popped in my head because the, the, it was like the yellow tint of the window gave this very eerie yellow feel to the darkness that was in the hallway. Well, I also really like that this is a film that honestly does primarily take place um, at night, but it is still like lit, like very, there is a lot of overexposure to it because of sort of like the neon lights and the colors and the, so there, this is technically like a, a bright film, like in some of the individual shots that you're looking at, but the overall like dark quality of these are people who live at night, who right, live in the right. shadows, who live in yeah. the underworld. That vibe is always still there in a lot of um, the images. And that's something that I really appreciate about Fallen Angels because, because chunking um, definitely has a bit more of like a almost, again, it, it has a similar romantic existential quality, but it, it, it is, and not to say that this one also doesn't have a sense of humor, but chunking, I find a little bit more sort of warm and funny, even though it is about sort of like lonely people. I, um, this, this one, I find a lot more, uh, nihilistic is not really the word, but I, 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 for sure. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. it's more downbeat in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, um, which is something that I, I uh, kind of just a style that I latch onto, which is why when we get to it, we'll get around to it. But like Fallen Angels has always like personally been one of my favorite one car wise like that. And in the mood for love have usually been my favorites, even though Chunking is obviously uh, like yeah. probably if people were trying to make an objective quality <laughs> that yeah. people might argue that that would be, uh, you know, his best, best. one. But Fallen, Fallen Angels, Angels. It, Oh, to me, yeah. Fallen Angels is like his funniest movie, um, but it is also definitely like one of his darkest. Like Fallen Angels has, we'll talk about it more, but it has a lot of sequences that are like, I don't know, the closest thing he's ever done to like silent comedy. Um, but he, he yeah, like the like 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 the mute the character mute taking yeah. over the, yeah. the businesses at night because the business shops close um, for nighttime. The day the people who own them run them during the day and they close at night. So what this guy does is he breaks into them at night. And just pretends to be the owner and runs yeah. them at night. What and am goes I? Through yeah, their by running them, and stuff. he just like grabs their stuff and then finds people on the street and basically threatens them into buying stuff. One of my <laughs> favorites was <laughs> like the, uh, this, the ice cream. I, I guy. love the one where he's he's throwing the giant eggplant in the woman's face, <laughs> being yeah. like, "You have to buy this." <laughs> oh, yeah, my yeah. I love my, my favorite was the ice cream one where the guy. Like yes. slowly walks up and then puts his head up and realizes that it's him and he's like, oh shit. And then right before he's about to escape, the guy grabs him and and brings him in here to force him to eat ice cream with him. And it I yeah, loved like, I loved his facial expression because it, it it's set in this 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 uh 
this thing in your head where you're kind of like, this guy has been doing this for quite some time to the point where customers recognize him and try to avoid <laughs> him at all costs. Like, well, yeah, there, I mean, there, there's that part where he takes over the hairdressers too, and the dude's like, I don't need a shampoo man, and you see him like forcing shampoo, he, like waterboards, yeah, basically, yeah. And, he, and he's like, I don't want to shave, and he's like trying to shave his face, and he's like, Look, I, I'll just pay you. I'll pay you. Don't touch me. I'll pay you. <laughs> I, I just gotta, I gotta say it off the bat that Takeshi Kaneshiro in this movie, who's the mute character. This is like one of my top ten or so favorite performances of all time. He just He's great. does he does so much with so little like he can't speak. So it's entirely through like facial gestures and physical acting. Yeah. Um, and he just gets so much across with it. Like like through half of the movie, he just has this like incredible shit eating grin on his face. Like when he's <laughs> when he's yeah. tormenting the guy in the ice cream truck. There's a part where he's like, the guy's like, I don't need any more ice cream, and he's just like grinning, like go on, it's so good. <laughs> and he um, makes him like a, he, the guy calls his wife to tell him he's not going to be coming home tonight because he's eating yeah. ice cream with the guy. There's like there really is uh, some some decent some decent comedy in here, and it's mostly through the mute character. I don't. I don't remember yeah. too much where it comes to the other two, which is like the the girl yeah the other the two is more straightforward. The assassin. Yeah, they're going through a more depressing <laughs> existential crisis well, time. Although there is a little bit a with the girl, but yeah, I was gonna say with. Blondie. Blondie. Yeah, with with Blondie, it's really funny. One of my uh, honestly, one of the biggest laughs for me in this film is the obviously the whole film is shot in these ex- extreme wide angle lens images and 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 tracking shots and handheld shots of of just following these characters around their nightlife. But Blondie, uh, the when we first meet her, she's eating uh, McDonald's like really late at night. There's no one yeah. there. And she just, pulls up to she pulls up to the hitman character uh, Wong and sits down right beside him, slams her tray down. She's like, "Can I sit here?" And that shot that that they do of his face being like, "What?" There's, and then yeah. the camera panning over to see all of the empty available seats yeah. Uh, yeah. that are available in the McDonald's, That's and then it goes back to him, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, no, that her whole." Her whole performance is that she's basically just like, yeah, we used to date, like you know, we're we're just we're, we we used to be lovers, and I want you back. And then like Wang Chi Min's like the killer is just like, what is going on here? And then eventually he's like, yeah, all right, I can work with this. Sure, I sure I used to date you. Sure, um, um, it's yeah, it, it does have some very funny stuff. The stuff with um, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Race again, I'm absolutely butchering that name, but um, her. Uh, you know, she's the agent for the killer. Her, she gets the most straightforwardly depressing stuff. Is she the um, one that has all yeah. the sad wanks? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, because their, their their story, I think, is the most cogent expression of like what the filmmaking is kind of doing. Um, yeah. Which is this idea that um, Wong is obviously a a hitman who um, he has this agent who sets up sets up the hit, the hits for him, and basically these two never really actually come into contact with each other, which is set up in sort of the opening scene of the film where they say we've been business partners for 155 weeks, we never actually see each other, and maybe it's a good thing because obviously if we're right next to each other, you know we might have a connection, we might have passion, we might get emotionally involved, yeah. which is bad for for business is what they say and so the yeah. way that they have you know sort of um Wong Kar Wai has sort of um distanced them is through literal sort of like physical distance of these characters um sort of like almost 
being connected through the business and sort of sensing each other and almost haunting each other in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, like she, in, in typical Wong Kar Wai fashion, she breaks into his apartment and cleans up his apartment, which is in, yeah. in Wong Kar Wai cinematic universe is the most romantic gesture yeah. you could possibly do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is. she dresses in like leather, like just like just in like S and M getup, and just like cleans his apartment vigorously. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that. So, so she she does that. She also frequents the bar in his exact chair when he's not there, um, yeah. and uh, shot in sort of. Um, um, Christopher Doyle shoots this film, by the way, one of the best cinematographers yeah. just yeah. of all time. My favorite. Um, he's such a king, just fucking just showing up on set hammered with just a handle of vodka and just like, all right, let's do this. I'm just going to be the best of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and he, the way that he shoots her like smoking at the bar lit in the neon red uh, through a mirrored reflection so that it looks like she's like doubled up. And she's just basically explaining that like, you know, I know that he's been here. I sense that his presence was here and now I'm, you know, I feel sort of like connected to him through this because this whole film is about these characters who feel a sense of uh, like overwhelming alienation, both by obviously the, the hitman feels it through a sense of profession um, and others feel it because, you know, they it's part of living in the city um nightlife being in the underworld you know like even if it's not necessarily because you're an assassin just because you're a poor you're a poor person who is sort of like hustling on the streets to survive taking over people business businesses at night to basically make 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 yeah. uh, make it do this whole movie just becomes a series of sort of like the the kind of alienated and isolated outcasts of this underworld and how they have resigned themselves that this is how they survive but at the same time in typical Wong Kar Wai fashion, always yearning for more, yearning for that that sense of someone else, of, of, of an embrace that is just around the corner that might make you feel whole, but you, you know, it, it, it might not, you never really know, but I, these characters are always sort of trying. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too that none of them seem to really have an idea of what that is. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. in the movies where, you know, there's something that they're going towards or, or motivated to strive towards is... There's a, there's a clear image or at least something that you can kind of latch onto, but it feels with them that they're just like there's yeah, something there's like there. a goal. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> that with that with these characters, it feels like there's just like they feel there's something out there that's bigger than them that they could be a part of. But you know, I don't think we really yeah. ever get to the point where they feel like uh, they've really figured out what that is. They might just be making small little steps towards it. Yeah. Right, right at the ending, they have a moment which is like a tiny step, but it's yeah. like it's played like the biggest thing in the world. Which God, like I, I guess we'll get to it later, but it is oh my God. Yeah, like I feel, I feel like yeah, the, it's one of my favorite movie endings. Oh yeah, ever yeah, it's Honestly. so good. It's beautiful. Uh, I do feel like the mute guy gets quite a bit. Like it feels almost like he gets a little bit of uh, understanding and a way to express himself through the films that he starts to make uh, for his dad, yeah. especially. Um, so that, that yeah, was something I, I, I that love came that to fruition. It felt like, like the stuff with his dad was very clear and, and very, uh, just, just emotionally effective. No, for sure. And I, I think that a huge part of this obviously is the, is what Wong Kar Wai is doing like, like stylistically, like early on in his career, he did, um, 
like kind of like for hire genre work in comedy and crime and 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 romances and all. he made all kinds of stuff. I haven't checked out a lot of them, but from what I understand, people are like, yeah, you know, he worked for the studio and he kind of just got things through. Um, and then as he got into you know sort of being able to have some you know some artistic freedom and some expression, things like as as it's as tears go by and what's the other one? Days of being wild. Yeah, um, Days of Being Wild was when he basically like as tears go by was successful. So Days of Being Wild, he basically got like completely free reign to do whatever he wanted. Um, and yeah. It, yeah. And it, it shows because as tears go by, is like basically like a ripoff of mean streets. And I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, but it, it, it but, feels but, but done through the beginnings of like his stylistic, um, yeah. sort of proclivities. Like I, I, I really like the way that, cause I've, I've always had a hard time trying to like explain what his style is to other people who like maybe aren't familiar with, with certain film techniques and whatnot. Because like I've, I've always said it's, you know, it's a little dreamier, it's a little romantic, but there are other filmmakers who are sensitive and romantic and do dreamy qualities. And his does feel different. And I really like um, early in his career, actually David Bordwell, I think summed it up really well. And he used the term um, liquid atmospherics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. is what he said that there's nice. that there's yeah. a, there, there's a sense of atmosphere and there's a sense of constant motion and it was something was that once I always yeah. talked about was that like film um you know it's not a still image and that even if your shot is a static image you know you need to be doing things that sort of heighten the quality of film so he would do things like very very idiosyncratic compositions with lots of negative space and strange angles to fit more objects into the frame or yeah. he would apply tons of lens filters to get all these kinds of different saturated colors um or he would uh, as they experimented here particularly with fallen angels with the extreme wide angle lens to fit in as much into the frame that they could so it, it creates um, this thing where it distorts the faces, which is a, is a really interesting use of the technique because when you do a close-up and you're closing up on someone's face, the whole idea is to sort of, you know, you are looking at a human face, you are getting involved in the expression that it is giving to you. But his close-ups here, his extremes close-ups, they really distort the look of the face. They really elongate the way that the cheek, how much the cheek takes up. And so at, at, at once he is doing a camera technique that is getting you in close proximity with a character. Um, but at the same time, the distortion still sort of like distance you distances, distances you from them. And so it almost creates claustrophobic uh, or claustrophobia and distance simultaneously just using a particular lens, which obviously works yeah. very well for uh, this particular film because this is yeah. characters seeking intimacy, but feeling distant. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, something too with like the uh, the way that he shoots the the few action sequences that are in this this movie are just yeah. insane because with, it's like it, it be, at first you know the the movie's kind of, I feel like I'm kind of gliding through the film as I'm as I'm watching there's, it and then there's not like, yeah and then when you hit that action sequence like the first time you see the assassin kill somebody with double pistols and going all John Woo and shit. Uh, it's it's just crazy because all of a sudden the the cutting becomes incredibly fast paced. Uh, the you know the shots you have close ups of people just getting blown away, bl- blood splurts. You have I think there's even like a couple POV shots of like you see the two guns from his point of view yeah. and things like that. It, it, yeah. It like turns into a video game. Yeah. Blood gets on the camera, <laughs> yeah, Miami, and, Miami and, Vice style. And each shot only lasts <laughs> about like a second or two in these sequences. Um, and it's just so somehow it's it's so different from what he does when he's just showing the characters kind of float through life. Mm-hmm. But at well, the same and, time, and I'm, it feels I'm so certain- connected. It's it's uh, tremendous. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah, yeah and, and obviously he does a very famous Wong Kar Wai technique in this scene. He does the the step printing effect that he does, yes. which is which is he creates that that sense of slow that, motion. That but frame it's, thing, it, it, but the frame rate kind but of. It, look. But it has it has like lost frames. Yeah, so like yeah. You, yeah. you 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 kind of move, but without the actual like you you don't get to see it as clearly. It it, it it gives it a little like strange spontaneous kind of feeling yes. of like almost yeah. a little bit of like a loss of control. Yeah. A because yeah. it's I, like the visuals go blurry. So it's almost as if like, it's what, it's almost like, you know, what the killer would probably be sensing. It's like, he has an idea of where people are, but once that chaos starts, you know, things become, become kind of a blur. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, w- one thing I think from a practical standpoint, the reason why the killing scenes look so different is because Wong's like shooting style since days of being wild has been like notorious where he doesn't have a script he just has, like, a loose idea of what he wants to do, like an outline or something. He is known for shooting, like, way more than he needs. Like, there's an entire plot line in the movie Happy Together that just got cut out completely. Um, <laughs> shooting went on so long that uh, one of the actors had to just, like, book it, and they had to, like, <laughs> yeah, it's very it's, it's, it. it's very Terrence Malick way of constructing yeah, your film. Yeah, he does, sure. he does the... But with this, uh, you know, these action scenes, action scenes are like one of the most like difficult things to shoot because they require like insane amounts of camera setups and choreography just for like, you know, a minute. So I imagine he just uh, he actually had to like, you know, plan this one out a bit more. And so you get like all of a sudden and it works really well because it just turns into this random frenzy of like blood and violence and all of these like disorienting, impressionistic cutting. It's so good. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he basically takes like a John Woo chaotic, um, you know, gunfight sequence and just like abstracts it into the feelings of it. So yeah. so like the, 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 the so you do lose a sense of like the clarity of the action, but it's yeah. very like intentionally done because Wong, that's just Wong Kar Wai's style. Is is he? You know, like I could see someone being this and being like, well, I couldn't even really see what happened in that action scene. And I'm like, well, it's not really the point of that particular yeah. You feel scene. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, e- exactly. So so I think like, again, his style is what like really captures the way that all of these characters are feeling. And you do sense a loss of like, um, like, like a bit of like a, a chaotic uh, because he, he goes in and it's all planned out. I love the, the hitman sort of like idea of the reason he's in this business is just because he's lazy. Yeah. Uh, he says it, it's because, you know, with this, you know, they, they tell you the who, they tell you the when, they tell you the what, and they pay you to do it, and all the planning is done, and I just go in and actually sort of, like, execute it. And, and when he yeah. goes in and actually starts the point-blank, like, execution <laughs> murder, um, that's, like, the only time that he really activates this, this effect. Um, and then outside of that, um, you know, there, there, there's a couple moments where he does it like the, the black and white, um, scene where, um, the mute character and this girl that he's interested in are both like sitting at the diner and they both kind of get like locked in time very briefly because they're both like very briefly happy to just be eating with someone else I think is really just yeah. in. <laughs> having human yeah. interaction. Which is, yeah, which is yeah. which is kind of depressing when when you realize that like that's really all it is that people in this are are seeking is that they are very lonely. It reminded me a little bit of that song from Fat City that we just did 2 weeks ago where it was just oh, like yeah. uh y- yesterday is gone, tomorrow's a blur, help me get through the night or whatever it is. Well, it's, like that that's the vibe I I get from this the, of like it's constantly um 
Wong Karwai's filmmaking constantly has you in the present experience of these characters and how alienated they are and how how briefly happy they could be yeah. to just be eating ramen with someone or to well, be riding a motorcycle through, you know, sort of like the night sky or, yeah. you know. Wong Karwai's like theme, like the the if I could summarize his entire career in like one idea, it's that that basically everyone is spinning out of control on their own emotional wavelength and the only way, uh, what is it, people can really only learn to, like, appreciate each other and be with each other for a short period of time before you kind of go out of each other's orbit again. So those, like, little moments where you two, where you mm-hmm. get to experience something with someone else yeah, yeah. are everything. Yeah, and, uh, yeah well, and, and, and also there's a sense that, like, you know, your brief interactions, you you might be on different wavelengths and you might like hurt someone else and send them away. And then they come yeah. back in a, in, in a, in a different way or, or that experience can change you in, in certain ways. Like, like when he has all those, when the mute character has all those interactions where he's basically like, he, he's pretty much assaulting people at yeah. night on the streets. <laughs> and then um, when he runs into that girl and that girl actually like leaves him hanging because I yeah. think, her boyfriend left her for yeah. Blondie, the prostitute, which is how it, we get all these to- stories connecting to that each other. Blondie, yeah, it, there he left. So Wonka Wai like loves like little like repetitions in his movies. Like he, he, like I, I, I'll talk about. I guess I'll talk about it more later. But uh, he like loves to just repeat musical motifs. Um, yeah. Like, the, this uh, remix of a Massive Attack song appears three times in this movie. The most notorious oh, yeah. example is. Um, uh, in Chungking Express, he uses um, California Dreamin' by the Mamas and Papas like nine times in an hour. <laughs> um, it is It rules. Um, people complain to me about that. I'm like, no, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's it's different through <laughs> repetition, man. Yep. But like, yeah, he every, every time like a song plays, it like the repetition of the song serves to almost highlight the tonal difference between what's happening. Like, the song, which uh, has this, like, cool rap over it that literally says, because I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, every time it plays, it, like, it gets increasingly more desperate. Like, the first time, it's just a cool hit. The second time, it's a hit that goes bad. And the third time, or, like, it's like a, uh, you know, like a deal that goes bad, a red collection that goes bad, basically. Yeah. And, and the, then the uh, third time, it's his own death. Yeah. What is it? Uh, yeah, he loves those little repetitions, and he, he does that with the names, too. Like, there's a character with a blonde wig in Chungking Express, and then there's, like, uh, you know, there's Blondie, who's uh, the killer's, like, sort of hookup, and then they have uh, the mute's girlfriend, uh, what is it, also looking for a girl named Blondie, and she's, like, going hunting through the streets with Takeshi Kaneshiro, uh, just, like, looking for him, uh, looking for her. And uh, what is it? And I, I, I got to say, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when they're eating together in like a crowded, uh, like in a crowded restaurant. And then she mentions Blondie really loudly. And then like <laughs> someone else, someone else is like, hey, you've seen Blondie? And then they like, and there's like two <laughs> other people. It's like, my name's Blondie. And then all of a sudden, just like a random, just complete brawl erupts in the bar. There's like the music changes. And just for like a minute, it just turns into just like an insane kung fu movie. It's great. And I love too. I think is that also the same part with the the black and white sequence where they're just kind of sitting there calmly eating and just enjoying each yeah. other's company while everyone else yeah. in the background is kicking ass like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> it's yeah. so it's it's yeah. fantastic. And, and it's funny too cuz like it, it's this 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 whole mix of things that he's able to do. Like there's a really 
awesome emotional <laughs> moment there between two characters that we've been that we've been with the whole time. But then also we have that kind of comedic aspect where you have it, a giant brawl going on in the background, and then he adds mm-hmm. his kind of you know just his artistic style, making it black and white, which. Um, I'm not yeah. entirely sure of the of how you guys have read that, but it just I guess it just spoke to me kind of like this this well, moment the, in time, the romantic moment the, the, in time. The, 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 well, the, and well, yeah, and the black and white stuff where he strips the briefly the color is is almost always like a moment where someone has like stopped to sit down right has, yeah. because like it, it, it. it's like really really they're only ever the static shots um in the film for the most part True. because there's also like the opening one where they're sitting down having their meeting which we come back to later in color because we understand at that at at that point uh she is basically planning to like kill him yeah. the hitman the agent's planning to kill him later whereas in this one um there there is like a sense of she's trying to like hold their time together right. a little bit because she wants to and she's um because again this is a lot of people just like they're so hyperactive and so forced to be on the prowl at night basically that when they get a chance to like relax he also strips it of like this really saturated colors at the same time almost yeah yeah um yeah so there, there is, there is something like very interesting, um, like stylistically again, capturing these characters experiences, but also implying that like, there's so many of these mini stories happening everywhere all the time, which yeah. is what that scene really gets at is that there, there's a whole nightlife that exists even outside of these characters. And as Spencer put it, like it's Wong Kar Wai just loves focusing on like, sort of like these brief stars that orbit each other almost yeah crash into each other and then change trajectories because of it or you know thing things of sort of like that nature um yeah. uh, there's it, even one line where, where he says uh, something along the like like uh, the night's full of weirdos yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what is it uh the stuff with i also love the stuff i mean okay I, I love this whole movie to get but like the stuff with takeshi kanashiro's character like that section of the movie is like like I, I can see you like like that could be my favorite movie. Period. It's it's so oh yeah. It's just so wild and uh, constantly just doing whatever the fuck it wants to. I love the part where the two go hunting through the apartment complex together for Blondie. And, yeah, and they they just like start grabbing like random people, just like going about their business. Like, are you are you are Blondie? You Blondie? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like she just finds this like old dude, and she's like, are. Do you know who Blondie is? Do you know who Blondie is? Are you sleeping with her? And he's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and it kind of, yeah. I love the uh, part. I think it's that same sequence. But uh, when I think at a certain point, the, the mute guy just goes, okay, well, we can't find her. So he grabs like a sex doll and then they beat it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, this is makes her feel now. better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's friendship yeah. right there. I love that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and then that's also when he takes her on the motorcycle ride. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they and, and then he and then he and then he takes her to the the soccer stadium. That's yeah. that's like empty and stuff and there's really cool images in in there. Yeah, the, the night that that night basically changes him because he spends most of the time before that night, like assaulting people and like holding people's businesses like hostage and stuff like that. And then after that, that experience kind of changes him that like moment of, of connection that he has. And that's actually when he starts hanging out a little bit more with his father and he starts, um, doing the, the videotapes and he kind of, he kind of locks down with a job at a restaurant from like the guy who actually owns the restaurant and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah. So he, he starts kind of figuring his stuff out and he kind of hopes that one day, you know, she'll like walk into his restaurant or something like that and he'll get to, to, to serve her or something like that. And I think at one point at the end, that is what happens. Yeah, but it plays a lot differently than, expect, like, bas- than you'd expect. Like basically what happens is, is that like near the end of the movie, his dad dies. Um, you know, his dad was like the one person who like really cared for him unconditionally. You have this really sweet montage of them. Uh, what a tape, tape he know? makes too, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, well, and, and I, I love the videotapes, like the images of the videotapes and stuff, because they again, show the whole he's thing filming too. it in this really close-up, intimate thing, and the dad like loves watching the tapes, and they lo- he loves watching the tapes because they just capture something about this person. And I do feel and like then, it's his first moment that he got to truly express something coherent to his father. Like when he sat down and yeah. watched those tapes, and he watched his dad watching the tapes, he was like, I, like he's and, smiling. And his dad was laughing yeah, and like, like I can't getting something I'm out of them. I'm giving somebody this kind of emotion like I felt like he truly felt like he was expressing himself yeah. for the first time. Yeah, and and also that the, the uh, restaurant owner has him send those tapes to the restaurant owner's kids, the yeah. ones yeah. that he makes about him because that's how he communicates with his children. And I love when he's sitting there watching the de- like this dude, his boss, basically do karaoke on camera, um, yeah. and and he says like I can feel the happiness that of his kids receiving. This, yeah. this tape. I also found it interesting. Um, and and, and, and an, another way of like being connected and intimate, but still distant is that a yeah. father who has to and talk to his kids by sending them videotapes. When, when it, when it, uh, when his dad dies, he has this really sweet line where he's watching his dad make these steaks. And he's like, um, he says like, they'll never taste the steaks again. I'll never forget what they tasted like. And it's uh. you know, a very sweet little moment. And then all of a sudden, right after that happens, um, you know, his life basically falls to shambles because the, uh, I believe the owner of the restaurant he works at, like, leaves the country and his dad's dead. He has to, like, kind of, like, leave the apartment, I believe. So then uh, he kind of reverts to his old ways and has to start, like, going into restaurants again and kind of becomes, like, even more feral. Like, he he meets up with the shaving guy again, like, the guy he forced to make ice cream and eat ice cream. And then he, like, just, like, jumps on him and then, like, the, the, like, the, steel door on the what is it restaurant shuts and you just hear the screaming and it sounds like he's like cutting off his fingers it's like it suddenly just becomes what the fuck yeah <laughs> it's so good yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and 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 then when he takes over one of those uh restaurants is when she comes back and doesn't even recognize him yeah she's like normal now like she she like when they met up together she was just like like she was like ha- unhinged at night screaming yeah. into the phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, and now she's just normal, and, like, he's just trying to get her attention by, like, you know, like, pouring, Being like, his mustard. weird nighttime self. Yeah, pouring mustard all over his shirt, and it just, like, she just, like, it's just, like, her boyfriend comes over and it's like, hey, we, we should probably get out of here. I don't know what this guy's deal is, and they walk away. Um, yeah, well, be, well, because of that, just it. It's, it's, it's the people who live at night and the people who live during the day, and she has become... You yeah, know, one of those other people, and then he finds connection by when we like when we get around to it, we get to the final scene. He does end up finding connection with another person who who also lives at night yeah. again. The uh, yeah, um, the the hitman's agent basically like you know after he like hard cuts her off and is basically like yeah this this we need to st- like I'm not I can't do this anymore. Um, what is it? I might open a restaurant. We, we need to, like, stop doing this, basically. And he had already earlier in the movie broken up with her by, um, what is it, playing <laughs> a song for her in the bar. And Yeah, he plays, the- um, hold on, I have it written down here. 
uh, he plays the song Forget Him <laughs> by, by Shirley, uh, Shirley Kwan. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so and, and and it's awesome how he censored that message because again he knows that she always frequents uh, the bars that he's at, and after she's at the bar, thinking about him and feeling connected to him, she like breaks into his apartment and like masturbates on his bed and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, as you do. Um, but and 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 he says, look, we need to end this because you know this is going to go bad. We can't have any sort of emotional connection as as business partners. So uh, he leaves a note with the bartender saying, get her to play the song on the jukebox, and then she goes over to it. And the scene where she does it, where she's like leaning over the jukebox and like the liquid neon of the jukebox is like moving through it and you know she starts sort of like feeling it and then it plays the song and the first time we see that scene that is what the song sort of is like what activates her to go into his apartment and start masturbating and the second time is what uh when she realizes what the song is saying to her and that she's it's saying literally forget me like fuck off <laughs> yeah um yeah. that that is when she's like crying on his bed in like her full like nightclub outfit and everything like that yeah so there's there's something really sad about like the only connection she felt she had was to this person and he was very curt with being like no get away from me yeah like we need to we, we need to stop this our lifestyles mean like we have they they necessitate that we do not have this kind of connection that we clearly are both you know sort of like feeling on on some way yeah and then that 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 pain results in her when he officially breaks up even their business partnership um saying uh like basically calling in a hit on him so then she sends him to go and do what he thinks is is him doing a hit and instead it's a hit on on him which is where that that final sequence comes in and and he just gets completely like gunned down and also there's one brief brief black and white sequence where he's in the bathroom pulling out his guns and getting ready and stuff like that because again it's that moment of calm before he's about to uh like go into another one of these uh really brutal uh murder sequences um, and, uh, it, it's kind of played like he knows what's going to happen to him almost like he, he, he like says earlier, like he I feels don't, it for sure. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why I chose to do it, but I thought I should anyways. Um, and, uh, then he, you know, he gets well, and, 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 well, and, and he kind of repeats his thing too, where he said that, look, my whole life, someone planned out for me and my, it only, it's a really only fitting that like my death was also like orchestrated by a third party. Like this was just the way that that was going to go, and he 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 briefly mentions that he thinks there's a a little bit of an irony to it because the only reason it's actually happening is because he broke up with her as a business partner, um, and the whole point and, was to not get emotionally involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and also the reason that he does that was because that was him taking control. That was him yeah. being like, "I am choosing to do something. I'm going to leave this life. I'm going to go start a restaurant." Like right. that was him. So him being that cautious. That was that was why he led, broke up as a business partner. Yeah, him being cautious is what's led to his demise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 his whole deal of being like this was the first someone's not going to tell me the who, what, or when anymore. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say I'm leaving. I'm going to say I'm starting a restaurant. And that is actually what results in someone planning his, his, him on the other side of, of a hit. Sweet freedom, baby. There's almost a sense of like resigned. Like, I guess this was going, always going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like the feeling of it. Yeah. I, uh, it, it leads to, uh, you know, the ending, which we like talked about briefly where, uh, both 
uh, earlier in the film, Takeshi Kaneshiro and Michelle, um, her character, they live in the same apartment complex, or she lives in an apartment complex that he, like, hides out in while he's evading the cops, uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro. And um, they meet again at the end in, uh, at this, like, restaurant, and she's just kind of eating noodles and dissociating. And in the background, (laughs) he, he, who's become very feral, uh, what is it, just immediately just like starts a fight in the background while she and there's this great shot of her you know wide angle lens of her on the right side of the screen just like eating noodles and just looking like just kind of sad as shit probably just yeah and and again the way that the lens has like distorted her face to like take up half the right side of the frame and then the left side of the frame is like this almost like fun house looking brawl Yeah. (laughs) yeah and then it ends and it goes over to him and he's got this like grin on his face. He's just covered in blood, and he's just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he uh, he just like leans over, looking cool, uh, with cigarette in his mouth, blood dripping on his face. And then there's like you know the narration. It's just like, what is it? Uh, there's so many, and it's uh, not only a reprise from earlier in the film, but also from Chunking Express, where he says, you know, uh, you meet so many people uh, every day. Some of them will be strangers forever, but some will become your confidants. There have been too many chances to become confidants with this woman, uh, but, uh, you know, and then it switches over to her, and she is just, like, uh, and she, like, kind of looks over at him, and then it, like, the, one of the best endings in movie history starts to happen, where only you, the cover of Only You, uh, the Flying Pickets version, which, not as good as the Yaz version, but it works better here, and it, yeah, uh... works really well. Yeah, um... Uh, it's like an acapella version of that synth pop, synth pop song you probably heard in like some rom com, um, and <laughs> he, uh, you know, they they start doing what is it the uh, motorcycle ride together? Sort of, you know, again a rep- repetition of him uh, going on the motorcycle ride with Charlie. Um, mm-hmm. Now he's with uh, the killer's agent, and they're you know kind of like driving together across the uh, you know under the tunnel and as they emerge from the tunnel she says like um you know uh, i knew i'd be getting off soon i knew the ride would end soon but at this moment i just felt such warmth and yeah. that's 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 Wai in a nutshell right there and you get this great little moment where he kind of like puffs his cigarette and the smoke goes up and the camera follows the smoke up the screen to the night sky and that's the end of the movie mm-hmm. yeah. and and also it's worth mentioning too it it's like that that night sky just before daylight is about to break yeah so it's like that it's it's like that sense of you're you're left a little bit ambiguous like do are these two people going to go into you a know more like normal the daytime yeah. or yeah. or is this just you know the last thing we see before another they moment come out again the next night right yeah yeah it could so, just be another so, so like there's there, yeah there, exactly. There's a there's an alternate ending of the movie that I found on YouTube. Oh. Um, uh, what is it? It's not. It's nowhere near as good, and I'm glad they cut it. But basically, like uh, only you, it still plays. I think they stop at like you know um, a gas station or whatever. Um, what is it? And he like kisses her, and then uh, she like kind of drives. She like uh, walks away, and then he drives off by himself. So this <laughs> this ending's a lot better since it's more ambiguous. But I I, I feel I like, like the implication too, is. Yeah, the implication is that, you know, uh, what is it, uh, that this is just kind of a, like a brief moment of intimacy for the two characters before... Yeah, a fleeting you know. moment. Yeah. yeah I al- but it's, it's... Yeah. I also really liked uh, the, mo- the moment right before the, the ending uh, se- 
shot where he, he is he's got the cigarette and he's smiling and i think he just got beat up and he's just like uh, yeah. no big deal as long as i'm happy <laughs> and i just yeah. yeah i love that i, I was just like he's kind of just <laughs> yeah. accepted that you know this 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 life is going to lead to some some horrible things here and there but he's going to just i guess put a smile yeah. on and try his try his best to make a connection it's it's sad but yeah. it's also yeah, there's a well, little I mean, bit like of that, hope in there you know yeah, that's that's what's so like emotionally powerful about this one for me is that like everything about like the sort of environment these characters are in basically screams like um you know, you need to stay away from other people. Like the the city nightlife itself is so like explosive and hostile at any corner. You never yeah. really know like when someone's going to come out and shoot you. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, trying to live your life like that and, you know, maintaining this alienation, it's 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 inhuman in a way like there's there's always you're always going to be trying to reach out or, you know, you're you're going to have a sense of desire for, you know, the the closeness of another person almost in a way. And all of these characters are both like resisting it, but yearning it at the exact same time. And his camera with, you know, again, being in such close proximity, but, you know, distorting and using the wide angle to keep everyone kind of like so far apart and distant and capturing so much of, you know, every space that that he's in, you know, you're, you're kind of it, it really gets that push and pull just simultaneously all the time as you're watching the film through the vibe of the film. Yeah. So like for for me, uh, pivoting towards probably the uh, reductive rating around here, this one gets the five for me as well. I've nice. I've always really loved um, this film um, from Wong Kar Wai. Uh, I've I've always felt I don't know why. Like I like even before I had seen I for the first time I think during quarantine this year I watched like every Wong Kar Wai film I hadn't seen. Um, and this one is still up there as one of my favorites, but I, when I first saw this one in film school, I remember this was just the one I always came back to more than the ones that, cause I mean, you also watch things like in the mood for love and chunking. And for some reason, this is always the one that I want to rewatch the most. It helps that it's obviously it's, it's really short and you know, it's, it's also very funny at the same time as sometimes yeah. being a little bit bleak. It's highest but the, energy. But those, yeah. The, the, the energy of it and uh, I really latch on to just like every single one of these characters and their their feelings of um, alienation and and wanting to sort of like you know push push against that a little bit, but also and and being sometimes punished for it, but yeah. also having those momentary glimpses of like bliss at the same time. And the way that Doyle and Wong Kar Wai like get that across in the filmmaking, it just I I really do feel this film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, oh, and also, by the way, that, that line, the, the hitman has, I, I had it here in my notes. Um, the line that he has as he's dying was, I don't know if it was a good decision, but at least it was mine. That's what yeah, he says. That's, um, as, that's a, as he's being, like, as he realizes that, like, you know, making a choice for himself is what has led to his death. He's like, at least I'm going out on my terms, me. And then he goes, and then that shot goes up into the sky and, and, and he dies, which is a replication of the shot too during the, uh, the motorcycle ride, the very last shot of the film right? where you have more hope, at least it's, it's ambiguous, but you know, it's at least not somebody's death. You, you, you are, you are left on a note of that momentary bliss. Yeah, of like exactly. These two people who we've been following for this whole movie and have had so much sort of like heartache and so much, um, sort of like, 
they've, they've had a lot of, uh, even, I mean, I guess even in, in this one, they've had a lot of physical activity too, uh, in, in terms of the, all, all the, uh, assaults and deaths that have taken place, uh, around them, uh, and sometimes by them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they just have this, this one moment together kind of deal. And, and that's why the song only you really works, works yeah. there too. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to give it the uh, the high four for now. I mean, this is just my mm-hmm. this is my first Wong Kar Wai film. Uh, yeah. So it was, I mean, it definitely threw me for a loop a little bit. I was, uh, just the style, the the heightened style is is unreal. I did feel like a I was pure, just kind of. Pure style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just felt like I was just kind of gliding through this movie a lot of the time. And uh, mm-hmm. and once it hit the end, you know, I, I, I definitely felt it. I, I understood. I just. I feel like I want to get on his level a little bit more before I can mm-hmm. definitively yeah. say that this is like a masterpiece for him. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's very similar to the to the John Woo thing where I'm just I'm so close to it. it I feel like it's going to take some time. I'm definitely going to dive into all of this guy's movies because I feel like I'm going to love everything. Yeah, um, there is so much good shit there. There are like I think like four of his movies will probably be in like my you know, list of my hundred or so favorite movies. He's, yeah. he's even like his weaker films have like a lot interesting in them. Like as tears go by, you know, it's not one of his strongest film, but it has an absolutely all time sequence in involving no shit, a cover of the song from top gun. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I, I'll give it the high four for now. Um, another thing I thought was a, a cool little, just a, a nice character moment to end it on was, uh, it was when the assassin is talking to, uh, is it, is it, is it Blondie or is it just the girl with the blonde wig? I can't remember if her name was actually Blondie or if that's the other character. Uh, girl in a blonde wig, basically. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but she, he's talking to her. I think, they I, have, I think they do name her Blondie though. Yeah. It might oh, be so. Okay. I was, ma- yeah. I was making sure I wasn't just making that mistake because of the hair. But uh, but they have this this interaction when they see each other for the final time, and she says this line that's like uh, like you may you may not remember me, but you'll remember my bite. And so it's like, yeah. and yeah. I love that because it's yeah, like this. Uh, it's like you know maybe you won't remember this small you know kind of emotional moment that you've had with somebody, but you will have to remember the physical moment. And, uh, mm-hmm. that what is, and, 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 and when you, when you get into other Wong Kar Wai stuff too, you'll see how big of a role like memory plays yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of his, yeah. his stuff too. Because again, it, it's this momentary thing of the filmmaking is in the present, but you know, at any moment that this is going to become a past memory because you know, yeah. kind of like what's next for a lot of these people. Yeah. And that's definitely something that he captures, uh, just with sort of like the improvised, like spontaneous sort of like camera work that he does. That is always kind of like hustling on the street, sort of like with the characters, which by the way, they said yeah. that they d- weren't always intending on doing, but they said just like shooting gorilla style in Hong Kong city nightlife. They basically yeah. had to, yeah. And Doyle said it was a very happy accident that, but he was just like, it was a case of the circumstances dictating the style, which yeah. then bleeds into the way that the characters move through the world and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah, I think that that's a really like powerful aspect of this is that, you know, uh, like the same thing at the end of the film, the end of that film, like they know that that is going to be in the past in, you know, yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> he has this idea where it's, it's like, even if, the way that he views relationships, at least in this movie's uh, sense, is is kind of like, even if you guys aren't together at the time, it's the it, like the memory is important. 
it's like it, there's there's a real significance to somebody going through a moment with someone and then forgetting about that person and the difference between mm-hmm. that and going through an emotion and at the very least remembering and having the memory of them because it's like she cares yeah. less about really physically being there and more like will you remember me you know like will will I yeah. at least have made an impact in your will, life yeah will I have mattered and that is fucking beautiful and a little haunting at times too so it's uh, yeah. it's great it's uh, yeah there, so high four there's a there's a moment in uh, Chunking Express where, also with Takeshi Kaneshiro, which, like, by the way, like, why the fuck did he not become, like, a big, like, crossover star, like, Song Kang Ho or something? Like, oh, God, I really wish he was <laughs> he got bigger than he did. But what is it? Yeah, no, there's a moment where this little thing happens in it, and it's, like, probably my favorite scene in the movie. And he has this, like, little connection moment. And then he says, like, if, uh, if what is it? I hope this memory lasts forever, but if it must have an expiration date... Uh, I hope it's for 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. But for uh, for you, Spencer. Uh, the old this is Raiders. one of those times where I wish that you guys did half half stars because... Oh, you can We just like guests do yeah. half stars. Yeah. I'll, I'll give this one 4.5 out of 5. It's, uh, it's a nice. messy and unwieldy film. It's very... Uh, it's not as like... Chunking Express like just feels like it was just like just emerged from somewhere perfect as it was. This one has like a, this one has more of a jagged, messy quality. It swerves all over mm-hmm. the place and I'll, yeah. like that's almost universally a positive thing. But like if I, if I take a step back, there are some times where I'm just like, they, what, what are you doing, man? But it is, yeah, it's, it's consistently exhilarating. This is any other, like basically any other filmmaker's best movie. Oh yeah. Um, but, 100%. But, but like for Wong Kar Wai, it's like, like basically tied for second place. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. I'll give this one a four point five. Um, but it, it's close to a five. It's very close. Nice. Mm-hmm. So we'd all highly recommend. Yeah. That's what we can definitely get from this. Yeah. Yeah. Both both films today can can definitely come. Yeah. Um, like highly. Uh, yeah. Recommend. But I'm high on that yeah. watch um, list too. They are fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, that'll that'll wrap it up for this week. That was Bullet in the Head, nineteen ninety, and Fallen Angels, nineteen ninety five. Thanks so much, Spencer, for uh, joining us and bringing my this with you. Yeah. Um, if you if you've got anything to plug, this is where we usually have you do that. Um, okay. So if you uh, if you want to hear me talk about something a little bit different than Hong Kong action movies, <laughs> um, um, so uh, right off the top of the head, what is the stupidest show you can think of? Um, uh, probably. I can't vouch for everyone, but the answer will probably be Family Guy. Um, but Definitely Family Guy, yeah, it is. It is one thing I kind of discovered it during one of my like manic obsession phases was that the show is like significantly weirder and more upsetting and darker than most people understood from it. Um, it's <laughs> not like modern day Simpsons where it's just like a uh, just like a shambling corpse. It is a <laughs> it is a just a, it is insane. It ve- so. Me That's and nuts, two friends yeah. decided, yeah, decided to sit down and be like, okay, let's figure this thing out. Why is this show that is like Michael Bay levels of misanthropy and like art <laughs> like house film levels of writing? Yeah, uh, <laughs> art house film levels of actively punishing viewer engagement. Like, just at times, <laughs> frequently, deliberately. Like, it feels like there, there's. It, I almost want to compare it to like Hanukkah with just the ways it's just like 
punishes you for paying attention. <laughs> like we 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 need to figure out this, and by extension, Seth MacFarlane. So me <laughs> and my two friends, uh, Andy X, X underscore Anarcho Anon on Twitter, and Ty Bobo underscore Circus on Twitter, we sat down and we talked. And we're talking about season by season Family Guy. We're currently on season. Uh, we're doing season twelve right after we record this. Um, we're also talking about American nice. Dad and the Cleveland Show. And uh, if you want to hear us, nice. and the Cleveland show is somehow as bad as it seems. Like, if, if you if you think having to watch, like, you know, Sato movies on this show is bad, just just try to get through 20 episodes of the Cleveland show. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, um, uh, we, we go through it. We, we are... Um, we talk about it. It's not like us. We're not doing like the the Doug Walker thing where we're like, this is a this is a bad <laughs> thing. We're uh, we're that very a really like good impression. <laughs> yeah, we're we're very critical of it, but we also are like we all have very fond memories of the show, and there we all have like bits we enjoy. Like we'll like. Whenever I'm like talking to people about Family Guy, I'll usually be like, "Yeah, it's bad." Although there was this like one joke I liked, and then someone else will be like, "Yeah, yeah, there, there's like a couple of good bits in there." So like, if you want to hear uh, three people, and presumably the only three people in history who aren't from Ohio <laughs> taking Family Guy seriously, then um, check us out. And uh, we've got a huge backlog that you can dive into. Uh, it's great. We've got a bunch of like great guests on the show: uh, Seamus Malakafsali. Um, what is it? Felix Biederman. Um, what is it? Patrick and Caleb from Podcast About List. Uh, just a huge, it's a great, and uh, if you want to hear me talk about stuff that is just as important as uh, Hong Kong classic cinema, then check it out there. That's right. That's awesome. Sounds yeah. good. That's yeah. the pitch. Go check it out. Those good old-fashioned values. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for, for our listeners, we're going to be back in, uh, one week's time for your bonus episode over on patreon.com. I think that was the cat freaking out. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Um, always has to make a feature. She's very, appearance. She, she's very excited about this double feature. Um, we <laughs> are going to be doing, um, uh, buddy G's combat shock from 1986 and, um, Jim van, speaking of Ohio, Jim van Bever's deadbeat at dawn from <laughs> yeah, 1988. Baby. Um, both of these films are, uh, basically like no budget, uh, I, I, the first one's not really an action film, but basically no budget genre films. The first one kind of like a taxi driver ish, um, Vietnam PTSD, uh, style film, but somehow, uh, incredibly bleak because of the fact that it was shot on really shitty cameras in Staten Island yeah. by a bunch of dude and his friends. Um, and then dead, deadbeat at dawn, which is closer to like a full out, like action splatter revenge film by just a Ohio film student dropout who just spent, <laughs> uh, the loan money he got for film school, uh, basically making his own sort of like macho revenge film, but That's with like awesome. torn jugulars nunchucks. and uh, nunchucks and absolutely insane stunts and stuff. Either way, both of these films were just made by uh, a dude and their friends, and uh, somehow they are actually very bleak and traumatic, very. Uh, little <laughs> uh, little films somehow from the eighties. Um, both are, have been, went on to become cult classics. So we're going to be talking about those two 
And then in two weeks' time, we are going to be back with a guest where we are going to be talking about uh, uh, John Borman. Yes, that's right. Exorcist II, the heretic filmmaker. We're going to be talking about John Borman's uh, Point Blank yes, from sweet. 1967. Uh, and we're going to be pairing it with um, John Flynn's The Outfit from uh, 1973. Some of you might remember John Ooh. Flynn as the director of Rolling Thunder and Out for Justice, which we've both covered on this show. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So we're going to be back with a special guest talking about those two. I'm not exact. I haven't seen either, so I can't say exactly what the uh, double feature is yet, but they both look like uh, late 60s, early 70s crime films. So that's what we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Sounds great. That being being said, I think that'll wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks, as always, for listening, guys, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.